team, welcome to the Two Towers podcast, a Middle Earth strategy battle game podcast. I'm Albert. And uh, I'm Geordie. And on today's podcast, we're going to be covering a tournament that may be familiar to uh, Entmoot. Any Entmoot listeners out there. Listeners. A little bit of crossover. Minimize, uh, which I believe uh, the good Harry Parkle um, participated uh, by proxy. By proxy, yep. Yeah. Um, in uh, was that last year? In the comfort of his own home. Yeah, last year, twenty twenty. He entered. Yep. I mean, what a year to get a little <laughs> tournament in. It was pretty. It was pretty special. I, I I was impressed that David Leonard, the the host. I'm impressed that he managed to pull it together. Yeah, I mean that was. It must have been kind of mid lockdowns or in the kind of twilight. There zone must have been like room. one week where we opened yeah. and he just like. Pshaw! Yeah. We're in, boys, and then <laughs> locked down immediately afterwards. I, mean, I think it was. I think it was a fairly um, small in terms of player numbers mm. last year, obviously because of the the local restrictions here. Yeah. Um, but even so, to to get it in um, uh, was was no small feat in and of itself. Um, but this year, uh, it's going to be a bit bigger, I think. Yeah. Where I, I looked at the list just before. We started recording. I think we're, it was at twenty one. Oh, cool! Which is already pretty good. That's yeah. that size right there. And then um, there's probably going to be a few extra entries and a few last minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think I've seen a little bit of chatter on the Australian SBG um, Facebook group of a couple of new players that are looking to get into it, and they've been kind of shown uh, minimize coming up and it's 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 an interesting um tournament do you want to talk a little bit about um what the tournament's all all about because it's a bit of a unique one right? yeah absolutely so minimize i i do i do really love minimize and what david tries to push so the 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 important stuff we'll get that out of the way so it's 300 points mm. which is very interesting um um and then what David likes to do is he really likes to hone in on theme and like law and like all this extra sort of stuff. So the minimize that I went to, which would have been like two years ago now, for example, one of the competitions was like best song associated yeah. with your army, yeah. which luckily I had accidentally written. I'd written like a poem that year, which I... What was, what was the army that you took that year? That was Corsairs, funnily enough. Yeah, <laughs> Dalamir and a bosun at 300 points is pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Dalamir just good. chopped through. He one-shotted um, Tim's uh, Spider Queen. Ooh. That was pretty lucky, but nice. it, ooh, it was good. Um, so he, he throws all these extra prizes out that aren't actually related to the game or mm. Mm. painting, which... which you know, it's it's really cool to em- like literally emphasize a theme yeah. as part of your prize structure. Yeah, no, uh, I unfortunately uh, can't make the the tournament, which I'm I'm pretty disappointed about. Um, but you know, life life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, so we will still have two towers representation. Represent. Yeah, uh, from I took one for the team and went to a Lord of the Rings strategy battle game tournament. So you can thank me later. <laughs> Real team player. <laughs> Real team player. Um, how many... Is it four rounds that you're getting in on the day? Because it's I, a one day, I right? believe, yeah. It's a one day and I believe it's four rounds. But because the rounds go so quick, yeah. you can, you're actually able to do that. Because 300 points 
finished like a game will finish within an hour yeah. almost for sure well before we before we get into your army uh in in the next segment um in a new power is rising do you want to talk a little bit about um what makes the 300 point kind of a unique points level to play at yeah so the 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 first thing that you can sort of picture that sort of like a a truism just sort of innately is the lower the points go, the more swingy the dice can be. Right? Yeah. If we, I've got 600 points and my Aragorn gets one shot, I still have 400 points to work with. Mm. Now, at 300 points, that's not the same. You know, that's not as true. So it's a little swingier, but there's still plenty of play to work with and you can still mitigate those dice. Mm. So the 300-point meta is what's interesting. Mm. Like we sort of talked about at 500 points, 500 points you get... You're, you're restricted. 300 points takes that like and turns it up a notch. So at 300 points, there's this there's, there's two ways that people build lists. I think I've gone a third way. I'm thinking outside the box here, but we'll, we'll get to that in a sec. Don't um, reveal all your trade secrets. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a couple of ways to go. You can take one big hero, like your Gil-Galad and your Aragorn, etc., and like stack your points there and hope to outfight whatever big hero the opponents have brought. Or you can do what I sort of did with my Corsairs, which is sink minimum points into heroes and maximum points into the infantry mm. and just try and quickly burn like the Aragorn's might and then trap and kill him mm. and hope he fluffs mm. sort of thing. So the list that you tend to verse are kind of like one or the other. Mm. There is a mid the mid sort of ground that you can find. But then it's sort of like if I've hit the mid-ground, I don't outnumber my opponent enough to mm. snowball and then my hero's not big enough to contest their big hero. So it's this real... And I think from memory, this is a bit of a hazy memory, but I think that's where Harry may have run into a little bit of trouble in when he sent his proxy army in, which was yes. kind of... It wasn't... He went with... I th I think it was a Numenor list. He had Isildur and then some troops. Yep. And it was like Isildur wasn't big enough to do the heavy lifting. Yes. Um, uh, but he, and so he didn't have the numbers to yep. then do yep. what your Corsairs could do. Right? Yeah. Which is yeah. Kind of so I think, I think my 300 point Corsairs had like, I, it was either 22 or 24 models. Which is pretty bonkers at, at 300 points. And that was that with is. the Delamere, but that's yeah, Corsairs. Yeah. That's a whole yeah. other thing. Yeah. But yes, I reckon I reckon he had Isildur and like maximum it would have been 10 Numenors, right? Mm. With the banner? Or maybe he just opted without the banner, which yeah, is... Yeah, I can't remember. I can't yeah. remember specifics, but um, I, I can remember there was some kind of discussion around, you know, in that instance... Uh, would it be better off just going ham with Elendil? Oh yeah, Elendil, um, because he gets the free heroics and the... that's that. That's one of the things that's pretty big in in three hundred points is anything with a free resource becomes sort yeah. of magnified. Yeah, like um, Helm Hammerhand. That'd be another interesting one at three hundred. Yeah. Um. So there's examples like, of course, Elendil's free heroic combat. There's like Thor's army bonus banner that yes. becomes nuts at three hundred because yes. you can get Thor and, and like twelve Grim Hammers or yeah. something. And, like, having a free banner effect at 300 points is nuts. <laughs> um, so there's instances like that where, where there's, like, this... Where, where models scale down really well. Yeah. Which I don't think is innately a bad thing because it, it lets... A thrall is always going to get played in the army of thrall. But, but it, it shows that models, like, are better at certain points levels and can do that, which is interesting. Mm. 
Yeah. What's interesting about um, MESPG is that, you know, you change something as simple as the points level yeah. and it completely changes the dynamic of what lists function and how they function. That's and, right, yeah. And how you approach a game in general. Right? Like, like I think there was talk about, like, Dale at 500 points being, like, top-notch, which I would agree with. It's one of the stronger at 500 points. But the moment you shoot it upwards to mm. 600, you go, oh, it's not good anymore. <laughs> yeah. Because what it means is that there is no necessary meta list, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is brilliant. Like, you know, I was listening to um, Green Dragon uh, just today, actually. They were talking about the the Black Riders Legendary Legion. And they were yeah. all saying... <laughs> topical. Perfect. <laughs> topical. Yeah. They were all saying, you know, there was a lot of discussion around what points is it uh, best used at. And, you know, it's all 700, 800, anything below that. Mm. You start to run into trouble with your resources. But... You know, obviously, well, Matt, Matt, Matt made it work. Um, so again, but you know, like you say with the the Dale example, there are there are certain armies that operate really well at certain points limits, um, and then others that don't. Um, and so, it's it makes for um, a constantly engaging and interesting uh, game where you, where you're constantly trying to figure out where to best pitch. Yeah, list, right. And 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 three hundred points being so infrequent which i i enjoy i do enjoy it but if every tournament was 300 points you'd you'd get stale but because it's like you know once a year you play 300 points no one's figured out the optimum hero yeah like you can tell like value heroes do better at lower points but it's like at which point is this model like absolutely 10 out of 10 like no one's got there yet yeah and if they do hopefully no one figures that out (laughs) well the meta would shift around it anyway so that's it that's it. And I think, you know, it's one, like you say, it's, it's so uncommon uh, in the, the tournament scene that it's, you know, that's its big selling point. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, so we might um, jump into talking about your army next, shall yes. we? Shall we yes. see what this new power is? Its victory is at hand! A new power is rising. And its hobbying is at hand. Very good. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, the segment where we look at and describe in great detail the armies that uh, we, and I'm using the royal we (laughs) in this instance, take to the tournament. Yeah, so don't forget to check out the uh, Insta so you can actually look at it whilst we describe a visual medium. And you can then (laughs) cross-reference that description and let us know. You know, you can DM us. Uh, We we also have an email. I don't think we... Oh, uh, snap. We referenced this in the first episode. I didn't know we had an email. We, we definitely do. It's the two towers podcast at gmail.com. For some reason, that username wasn't taken already. Sick. I know. Crazy, right? Um, but we're getting sidetracked. Let's talk Let's talk about your army, Geordie. Talk yeah, through. look, it's a long one. Um, so, guys, sit down, take a seat. Uh, Warband 1, Great Beast of Gorgoroth. Mm. Uh, Warband 2. Great Beast of Gorgoroth. Fantastic. 300 points on the dot. I love it. Little to no bookkeeping. Um, two models to move around. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. So, with our like little meta discussion in the, in the intro, it 
what I find interesting, and we'll see if it plays out that way, is um, I kind of think this has both sides covered. In terms of big hitter and numbers. Yeah. yeah. So, my opponent has like a big Aragorn on a horse, right? Mm. I'm never beating him in a fight. No mm. no list at 300 points going to beat like King Alisar, right? Mm. What if I don't have to beat him in combat? Mm. What if I just charge him? Two strength sixes a turn? He'll eventually die. He will. And then we flip side, then we go to the Horde army. I've got two shots at strength six on each model that I contact, and they're going to die pretty quick. They are, in theory. Now, before, in theory. We, before, we, <laughs> before we get into any more of how, how these guys go on the table, um, talk through the approach that you've taken, the paint scheme um, that you've, you've applied for these guys. Yeah, so... My thinking with the Great Beasts of Gorgoroth was that they wouldn't have been on the Pelennor. Now, let me elaborate. They were there as Beasts of Burden for the Siege Equipment. Yes. Because we see that in all the shots. Yes. They were pulling the Almighty Grond. Yes. Um, but, like, if you've got Mumakil there, who performed the same role, mm. why would you want the little version? This is an interesting qu- uh, point, and it was a question that I was going to ask you. Because you're exactly right, you've hit the nail on the head already. We don't see them in the movie as they are modelled by mm. G-Dub, mm. right? So, what is your idea about how the like? Where did these guys fit into the narrative? Well, the way I see it, they would be performing in the northern frontier. Okay. So, as much as the Easterlings come down to the south to help with the the raid of Minas Tirith, and then. Yep the south ones as well like the north was getting invaded by easterlings and um Dogledur mm. goes north as well i think mm. um my thinking is that these guys just wouldn't do enough on the pelinor because we've got the oliphants in in reserve yeah so any sort of extra um howded up great beasts of golgoroth that have been presumably trained in to some degree to follow their little orc on top mm. they would have shipped up north to somewhere where that Hitting power might need to be used in more mm. confined spaces. Mm. Let's say like the, a Hall of Erebor or something like that. I also, just thinking about them as... I, I like that idea. I like that idea that they're going to the Northern Theatre. I also really like the, the, the fact that they're kind of depicted as these beasts of burden... This is going to be a little bit of a tangent, just FYI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, let's I'll, go. I'll, I'll, I'll get tangents I'll, away. It's going to go. It's going to go full circle. The the I like the idea of them being um, beasts of burden and actually performing like a, a key supply chain role in that northern theatre. So they're taking up not just you know they wouldn't have the troops in the howdah necessarily. They'd be transfer you know bringing up the supplies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I watched this interesting deep dive. Um, YouTube clip on the logistics of the moving of troops from yeah, right. we are we are going on yeah, tangent. Yeah. let's go real real tangent um, it, it was looking at um, you know comparing the numbers that Tolkien outlines in um, the siege of Gondor and how long the actual marching line would be mm. and whether that's actually conceivably historically even um, achievable. Right, mm. looking at Napoleon, you know the Napoleonic Wars, and you know those kind of really large scale in- engagements and massive kind of broad um, front 
um, assaults yep. um, as kind of a basis. And it goes into so much detail. This was a really, really <laughs> deep dive. But it was a, it was a really interesting um, kind of uh, look at, um, you know, the logistics that underpin just just kind of a, a fantasy throwaway. And I think yep. it was actually, it was handled um, in the movies quite well in a couple of key scenes when they're kind of crossing over as Gilead and it shows yeah. them actually yep. they've planned all of this stuff out. They had all the bridges um, ready to go and all the siege equipment. And so it all took time. Like Gron didn't just appear, right? There's yeah. a reason that he didn't just rock up in the first bit because they were still moving him up the Pelennor. Yep, yep. So this idea that these guys are going up to the north and kind of performing that same role, I really like that. Um, yep. Because it gives them real purpose. Yes, um, yeah. In the range. Yeah, 100%. And and like, again, comparing to Moonmunks, because that's their more direct equivalent, mm. you, you, you couldn't put supplies on a Moonmunk because he's 50 foot tall. But whereas these guys are, as far as we're concerned, like reasonable you can pack these guys and, and they're big chunky boys so they could they yeah, can take it they, so can, they can take a lot of supplies I, I definitely agree I think that would be one of the uses they'd be the pack mule of the army mm. but then once you're there switch them into battle mode I mean let's just chuck some orcs where the supplies go yeah and send him forward yeah yeah so um, talk a little bit about the um, the paint scheme that you've gone with this. So I, I guess we'll split the paint scheme into two parts. Yes, there's, good call. There's the the great beast of Gorgoroth, which is you know the distinctly um, you know the grey beast, mm. and then there's the the howder and the the orcs on top. Let's talk a little bit first about your orcs on top. Yeah. So uh, with with following my head kind of them fighting in the northern front. If you've if you've seen me maybe in the um, Australian SPG in the dice bearers um, little paint comps, you've seen that I've chucked a few Easterlings in there. Mm-hmm. So my Easterlings are fighting in the Northern Frontier, of course. These orcs they're clad in similar colours, but they're slightly off. So the the way I see it is the orcs because wearing armour, whilst presumably they're they're transporting, it's it's a whole ordeal that like. The, the reason Gimli gets away with it is because he's a dwarf. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas Aragorn and Legolas, they were like armorless the whole way through because traveling in armor is, is a whole ordeal. So the way I see it is that these orcs rocked up to the northern frontier and just sort of picked up what the Easterlings had sort of brought but threw away type thing. Like mm. They've brought it with their army camp and they've set it up. But, you know, all the actual Easterlings are clad in proper armor and uniform, but... They would have just brought whatever they had with them in case there's a like a, a local militia or like in this case a bunch of orcs just came and pilfered. So I've painted them in gold, but I made sure it was like as like as far as I'm concerned, it was this it's this, this gross ish. It's a dirty gold. gold. It's quite yeah, dirty, isn't it? It's a it? dirty yeah. gold, yeah. Um and then they're just wearing purple because purple's like my favorite color. So yeah, we're not, we're not straying from that. It's it's definitely the patent pending Geordie purple, um, <laughs> which is awesome. I mean, it, it's uh, it's the classic uh, color theory yellow purple, mm. right? Mm. But um, it's it goes beyond just that color theory, and it it um, starts to um, talk to the tones. Do you want to talk a little bit about? Because we've talked yeah, about this yep. a bit off off air about yep. you know not just necessarily being about the color but it's also about the the contrast and the hue and the tone yeah so there's as much as um and i think i think 
for those familiar with 40k, one of the, like, so I guess it's 30k, one of the legions is like this striking purple next to this striking yellow, which is all well and good because those colors go together well. But when you see people actually try and paint it, they've got their purple as bright as it can be. And then they've got the yellow as bright as it can be. And suddenly these colors clash. Mm. And it's, it's the fact that they're both like vibrant Despite being on opposite ends of the color like spectrum or color wheel, um, they're both clashing vibrancy. Mm. So then you can you could go the other end, which is maybe towards what I've done, where both sides lack a little bit of vibrancy. I'll, I would say the gold has a bit and the purple has a bit. Um, so now it's just the two colors rather than like hue mm. clashing as well. So mm. now it now it sort of works. Um, it's a, it's a muted tone that you've you've achieved and and because they're both muted it's it's a bit more harmonious yes because they're not yelling at they're not both yelling at you yeah yeah um and so i think what what it results in is quite a balanced looking model from a distance yep um and then when you get up close to it uh, cuz i didn't like i haven't looked at these in really close detail until today. And from afar, it kind of looked like um, the gold was almost a, a bit of a beige. And it wasn't until yes. I got right up close to it, I was like, ah, okay, it's actually gold. And um, you really, like, you see the color um, complementing um, the purple once you kind of get into it. But the nice thing, like I was saying, because it, the, it's the, the contrast is there, but the, the hues are toned down, um, and everything's got these muted tones. It really looks like a very cohesive set when it's on the table. Yeah. And to sort of extrapolate, you could do one color muted and one color quite vibrant and it would work sort of thing. I think I'm not like a, learned painter man um and you but but it's it's sort of finding it's either finding the balance or finding which like whether vibrancy and colors can work together because some can you can you can have like a bright blue and a bright orange pretty pretty harmonious but it's finding the right balance because mm. if you make them both absolutely like like you were saying like screaming at you then they kind of won't work and you've yeah. got to just find figure out the right spot i guess yeah it and it's hard it's it's interesting because I, I kind of view um, Middle Earth painting almost in the same vein as historical painting. Yeah, me, yeah, um, me too. Like kind of bolt action, like those kind of muted tones. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, you, you see a lot of the YouTubers out there who are all really pushing the vibrancy yeah. on their model yeah. because they're kind of gearing towards either like a high fantasy aesthetic or they're gearing towards like... Um, uh, like competition painting, yeah. Right? And competition painting is all about like pushing that, um, and and I don't think that that always works in yeah. the Middle Earth. Like you know, I think I think it's definitely like do what you want to do and do what you think looks cool. Always, I would say do that. Yeah, of course. Uh, that isn't what we're saying. You know, <laughs> um, I'm just saying for me, my <laughs> yes. truth. Yeah, that's um, right. Is <laughs> And, and look, I'm 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 very much uh, aware of uh, how set in my ways I am. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in that like I view things from a certain perspective, and and you know, to each their own. Um, 
but yeah, I I really I really like the the muted tones that you've you've got here. Yeah, thanks. Um, and that's sort of you, everyone. Anyone who sees my work will see you. You might even be able to pick it. I've been told it's very unique, which it's distinct. Yeah. yeah, distinct. Yeah, which yeah. I had no clue. But it's just when you self taught something, you don't find it odd or weird or different. So. And it's also, but we, we were talking about this before. It's also like when you stare at your models day in, day out, you become desensitized to them. Mm-hmm. I guess it's hard when you're only looking at your own models, you, you kind of become desensitized to it, right? Yeah. And yep. so you, um, it's only when somebody else kind of points it out or yeah. makes that comment then, or, or you're looking at somebody else's models in comparison to yours yeah. where you go, oh, okay, yeah, no, that is like distinctly my style. Yeah, now I can see the difference because I've got something to compare to. Compare it to. Yeah. There's some juxtaposition in, you know, in what they're saying and how mine looks against their sort of thing. Yeah, so like you were saying with with Middle Earth, sort of in my head, you paint it like it's as if it was real life. I guess yeah. to an extent, I will always paint with like earthier colours rather than anything with too much like hue or vibrancy sort of thing. So I'll, I'll tend to gravitate towards browns, sort of browns and grayscale um, mm. with sort of cloth, exceptions for cloth because you need, you need a pop of colour. You need some kind of colour. Um, yeah, but, and and like you said, you know, um, to each their own. Um, and I've, I've certainly seen plenty of fantastically painted models that, um, you know, really push that, that vibrancy and, and, and the contrast. Um, one, one painter in particular on, um, on Instagram, uh, I think his username is heroic highlights. He, oh, yeah. he has this really great, um, capacity for kind of pushing contrast and he sometimes strays into hues that are much more vibrant than i would ever be comfortable doing yeah um and what's interesting is that he he also contrasts it with very earthy um tones as well so i think he did the he's got a um a helm's deep army which he's painted up and he's gone with um, the uh, the scenes from the movie where it's at night, so it's like real high, like almost like oh lightning my. flashing yeah. off wet armor kind of look and yep. vibe. Um, all NMM, um, awesome uh, listeners, you should all go and check it out. <laughs> enough of the yeah. <laughs> enough of the side chat of somebody else's army though. Um, we've only covered half the model, um, so we've talked about yeah. the ops, we've talked yep. about the howder. Um, talk about the beast itself. Was it a beast to put together? I've heard some people say it's not the most friendly oh, model to assemble. I think it was fine, but I'm fairly patient with kit bashing slash putting sprues together. Mm. Um, Shelob was worse for, for context for anyone who's tried Shelob. Isn't Shelob <laughs> like the ultimate? Yes. <laughs> So, so you're saying it was better than it was the most torturous single experience. worst thing in the world, um, which is pretty pretty high bar. Excellent. No, it was. Um, I th- I thought it was okay, but I can I can understand people's uh, opinions on that. Okay, so it's it's slightly better than Shelob um, to to assemble. <laughs> talk um, talk about a bit about the the paint job that you've gone the with painting. For yeah. yeah. Um, so naturally. I think when you see a great beast of Gorgoroth, I think what's the first sort of real world animal that you jump to? Rhino. Yep, Rhino. That's what we want. We got the we got the land unicorns. Um, 
Yeah, so so I did like a little bit of sort of life study and looked at a bunch of like photos of um, rhinos. Um, and as you sort of look a bit closer to their, their skin or, you know, the tough eye that they've got, you see this like, you know, tessellating like cross-hatching pattern that builds up, which humans have, but it's like tiny, tiny, tiny. But on them, you can actually kind of notice it, Mm. which is really interesting. Yeah, no, so as someone who has actually um, been to Africa, I went to Africa back in 2018. Oh, nice one. um, And I actually saw some rhinos um, in IRL um, when I was on safari. Um, And I I love the scheme that you've gone with because it actually uh, really captures that kind of gnarly gnarly hide um that they do have especially when like you get super high contrast when the sun is directly hitting their skin because it yeah, does have that cool. kind of depth to it and like you feel totally, the perfect judge here yeah i mean i wasn't going to say that i was judging it um <laughs> until you described it a little bit more um but so talk us through the technique of how you've actually um painted it up because it, it it's not a very textured model from like the skin itself on the model isn't super textured, but the paint job that you've gone with has really given it texture. Yeah, so there's definitely like a bunch of spots on the model that have like sort of skin folds, I guess you'd say. And yeah. the rib cage is like a little bit pronounced. And if you were you to like wash it, I guess, there's, there is certain parts that would pop up. Mm. But you, you're absolutely right that I, that I built off of essentially the flat parts of it. And this is... Like a, this was like the the first, first of all, the first time I've done it and probably the only time I'm going to do it because how many situations does this work? But I quite literally did cross hat shading, which for anyone who's interested in like cut, like comics or whatever, they tend to do that as one of their like shading methods is to just literally draw crosses and then make the crosses like more dense as the, as it gets darker and it builds this shadow shading effect. So I've kind of done that, like, I guess, backwards where um, I've done lighter crosshatch patterns across more of it. And then as we get to the bit that is more prominent, so for example, in like, you know, his leg sort of folds as it gets to the top, which would have had the light on it. I've yeah, all the ridge lines, like all, the, all those knobbly bits. Yeah, I've had, like, I've done brighter but less sort of cross hatches over it. So it's mm. got this built up effect of, of um, essentially of texture where there was no direct texture before. Mm. Um, and I think it's come up really cool and it's come up like looking quite interesting. And it's, it's, it's built so much depth on what would otherwise be like, because the, the composition of the model as a whole, you've got, the howder with all of these orcs and fabric and yes. lots of different, like it's very busy. I was going to say right? it's super busy up There's top. a lot going on there. And then that's contrasted by like large amounts of flat areas. Yes, you've got all the kind of the folds and the skin around the shoulder and the legs where, you know, it's got movement and muscle and all the rest of it. Mm. But what I think you've done with the paint job, which is really successful, is you've you've kind of brought the same level of depth and texture that is in the orcs and the howder into the great beast itself. Um, and and it makes the, the overall model just feel really unified. 
Mm. That makes sense. I think it. Um, I think you're right. I think having the top being busy and then the bottom being quite bland makes good contrast. But it doesn't. But you're like you're losing an entire model, and you're losing and a big model. It's the hero model, right? Like it's yes, a, the he, ten orcs on top are not doing the heavy lifting. Get them out of here! Yeah. All we want to see is the big rhino boy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've, you know, and and this is the I think the the beauty of um, this hobby is having the creative freedom to actually, um, you know, make that decision of, I actually want to have, um, you know, more depth, more texture. And mm. I can, I don't need that sculpted on. I can yep. do it with a paintbrush. Yeah. Which is, which I think is, it's sort of like counter, I think counterintuitive to like a newer player or painter, I think, cause you go, I'm going to paint within the dots this is where the shadow's meant to be and I'll paint the shadow in. Mm. But I guess you learn as you paint more and more where things could go. And he's got such negative space, particularly his hind legs. Mm. His neck is quite built up and that would sort of look okay. And his front legs have a bit of motion, like he was saying. So that kind of looks okay. But his back legs are just like pure negative space, mm. Mm. which I think... Why not fill it? Um, Especially as that's the side of the model that you're going to be looking at in <laughs> the whole game. Yes. Well, hopefully I'm sort of like a running rings, but we'll get to yeah. that bit later. <laughs> no, I think it's, uh, it's um, you know, like I was saying, it's it's a really well-balanced composition overall. And um, just the, the subtle um, cues on the basing as well. Um I didn't even notice this, but my wife um, pointed it out. Yes. With the, 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 per, the subtle purple flocking that you've got on there that kind of matches up to um, the, the lads on top, which is quite cool. Yeah, so the, the bases are like this nice sort of dark brown that sort of blends into the background because that's its job. But then on top, yeah, like, like your, your wife had noticed, there's the purple flowers for the purple armour. There's these like goldish... Mm, the tussocks. Tussocks which go with the armor-ish. And then there's these gray stones, which, which go with the, the great beast himself. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's got this... It, it, it sort of goes full circle, I guess, and ties everything together. And I think, um, you know, in, when you've got a really well-rounded and well-balanced composition, as you've done here, it's almost like it becomes invisible when you first look at it and what all you see is a, is a well-balanced model. But what's fun for me is to unpack that, like what's doing that work, like mm. what, what's, you know, within the, the painting, like, cause you've made all yeah. of these conscious decisions yep. and none of this is really by chance. Right. Yep. And so, um, it's interesting to, to kind of unpack that, um, for people, you know, like, you know, I, I would consider myself a somewhat experienced painter, but I'm always really interested in other people's approaches to painting because that for mm. me is really fascinating. Like I've got my own style, you've got your own style, but the decisions that you make on your approach to painting can often be as interesting as the painting, um, the paint job itself. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, speaking for myself, but I'm sure it goes with everyone we don't just do things willy-nilly with our, with our design, mm. including the base. Like, it's all on purpose. And mm. then when you look at it at first glance, 
your brain knows that something's up and you go, that looks good. That's well balanced. What's going on? And then we get to like look deeper and figure out which aspect plays off which aspect, which is, which is cool to sort of unpack as you go, I guess. Mm. Mm. Is there anything else that I've missed in this unpacking around um, the design decisions that you've made with it that you want to talk about before we move on? Um, we should, I guess, I guess, touch on the the big the big chains that are on the the oh, big yeah. boy and his yeah. um his sort of I guess facial features too though there's not too much to them. So I just gave him because he's got this that big great big horn. And then he's got this little beak thing, which is really he's cool. He's like a rhino crossed with a turtle. Yeah. A or tortoise. Tur- tortoise. Oh, they're the ones with the beaks. Yeah. Nice. I, so. um, I kind of think that's the aesthetic that they went for, yeah. which I, I'm, I'm here for. Yeah, it's great. The more turtle represent, or tortoise <laughs> representation, the better. Um, so they've got that nice little beak thing, and I just sort of tied that with the horn um, on top, which is just this nice, look, dried bark into white is like my favorite <laughs> it's my favorite brown and this is where i just took the whites even further and further and further and then his eyes were like i wanted a bit of separation so they're just like blue mm. that you can see through um but it's it's very hidden because they're so teeny tiny but um but i think that's what's so kind of sad about the model is that the that this little, this big beastie just sort of doesn't want to be a part of it, you know? Yeah. And that yeah. he's just sort of like a little longing and a little departed, I guess. Yeah. Which, um, which I guess ties into like the whole story of being the beast, of burden of the, of the mortal army. I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out the, the horn on top as well. Cause again, it probably adds, um, another layer of kind of distinct uh, contrast and probably the same with the, the toes as well right i'm assuming yes, you've yeah. gone with a similar same effect um, yeah and and it just it again it kind of adds these little moments of pop um and draws the attention to the thing that's you know going to um probably do some serious <laughs> impale <damage>. somebody <laughs> which is really cool like they're they're fantastic and um a really striking army um to put down at 300 points <laughs> Like, yeah, like two centerpieces at 300 points. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how, no other army can do that. No, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's really cool. So I, even if I come down, even if I come second best, I win the moral victory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, shall we move on to what you think in terms of how these guys operate on the table or what, what's the approach that you're going to take? Yeah, absolutely. So... The Great Beast is a cool model for a few reasons. So we'll get into War Beasts, and they have like literally their own page in the book. But one of the important rules that I've sort of clutched onto is the fact that any model who's in a howder and the Great Beast itself is fearless. So what I mean, it's fearless as far as breaking goes. War Beasts will never flee the table. At 300 points, when there's quite a quick break, mm. like if one of my beasts goes down, the other is not going to just run away on a 40% chance. Mm. He's sticking around till the end as well. Whereas if my opponent just trades tit for tat, I've killed 150 of their points and broken them, and they've killed 150 me and broken me, my models are all going to stick around, mm. which is to me very important at 300 points because it's so quick and easy to 
break one another, I guess. Well, especially if you get a couple of choice tramples off early on. <laughs> well, <laughs> the um, of course, the other good thing that War Beasts do is trample. Great Beasts do two strength six hits, which against most armies, you would say that's a 75%er. Like any defense six and lower army, two dice, one of them has to be a four plus. Mm. Mm. 75% to, to just get someone for free and then keep going and keep going and keep going. I mean, it depends who's rolling the dice. For you, it's probably a, a straight 75%. For me, it's probably a wobbly 50%. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. I think, you know, it, but correct me if I'm wrong then, the key for this army is making sure that you set up that initial engagement. Because if these guys get surrounded, what happens then? Yeah, good news is, and look... Uh, I read War Beasts yesterday to, to, to get my head in the game. I don't think War Beasts can be trapped. That I might be right. a Mormark specific thing, but it might not. I think I think it is War Beasts in general. Um, so the good news is them getting surrounded isn't the end. You know, like where if you're surrounded by like six dwarves, you're probably dead regardless of profile. But now it's six attacks instead of 12, which is bearable. Because um, mm. these guys are defense seven and six wounds, I believe. So they're... They're nice, nice and chunky. Sticking around. Um, but in saying that, if they get surrounded, suddenly their trample is pretty useless because they're hitting one guy instead of two to three. Mm. Um, but yeah, the cool, the cool sort of aspect of about these models is there's eighteen bows on top. So the great beast profile, I believe it says in their profile, as far as like bow capacity goes, they just are ignored. Sort of the way that I think Kandish horsemen are in their sort of list. and Yeah, um, Riders of Rohan are the same. Riders of Rohan. Yeah. They're just flat ignored. So we don't even count them at all. So I don't have any infantry at all, but I've just got these two models, and on each of those models is is nine bows on, on top of each. Um, so at 300 points, how many bows do you reckon I'd be versing in most <laughs> sort of lists, right? Yeah. Yeah, shooting superiority was is pretty much a, a sure thing, right? Yeah, like they're orc bows, but I'm guessing I'm versing four to five bows on the other side. So, and your move eight, the beasts are move eight. Yeah, so you're moving eight inch and still shooting uh, on a five plus. And that's the other important bit, right? Is that as much as they're you know orc bows, they're the equivalent of a of a rider of Rohan moving and shooting. Look, which which is notorious, but so I maybe shouldn't have said that. But no, so the um, the the amount of shots that you can put out in a turn is is a scary notion, and so essentially you're forcing the enemy to come at you, which is exactly what you want. Yes, because you want them to be rushing, making mistakes, getting out of position, exactly, so that you can then come in, and go stomp, stomp, stomp. The other the other interesting thing, and I'm not below this. I may kite as well. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> now, we'll, the, we'll have to wait and hear if I pull it off the actual games, whether you do. Um, now, now, when I say that, I don't mean I'm going to kite the whole time. But I, like you pointed out, I can move the full eight, still shoot at my full capacity as, as you know, it's still an orc shot. That's still, that's still good. Um, so I can run away eight inches and still shoot properly. Mm. Um, which 
which yeah, the I guess the idea is to just sort of pressure that opponent to to overstep and at one point just turn around and and yeah, get hopefully each of them to do a bit of stomping. I was going to ask about that because so you've got two. Do you see these as kind of um, hanging? I mean, obviously it's dependent on the matchup and the yes. scenario. But um, have you had any thoughts about whether these guys operate together as a death ball or do they operate separately to try and um, either kind of hammer an anvil or, mm. um, you know, potentially split up the enemy and deal with smaller components piecemeal? This, this is the interesting part. It will be matchup dependent. If my opponent has zero bows and zero magic, I think I'll clump up a little bit. Mm. But the, the hard part with War Beasts is, of course, the Rampage. So if my opponent has like enough bows to put in the hurt, I think I need to keep them eight inches apart. If my opponent has like a, a compel, I might keep them just five inches apart so they can't hit each other. Um, but it, sort of anything beyond that, I think they do want to stick together because, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I tried to read up on every single rule I could. There's nothing stopping these guys from being involved in the other's heroic move. So the Mumak War Leader and the Mumak Other Fella, there is a specific rule that says they're not involved in anyone else's heroic move. Right. But I couldn't find that in the War Beast section, which is where I sort of... I sp- specific to the profiles. Yeah. Yeah, right. Interesting. Um, so as long as the two commanders, because it's the commanders who do the heroic move part, yeah. as long as they're within six inches of his six inches of each other they will operate together I guess in that way that I, I need I want to spend one might to get two tramples I guess yeah yeah remind me the magic the the interaction between magic and um, uh, the great beast it's targeting the captain is that right it's not targeting the model as a whole yeah like they're the same with the mumak essentially you can compel a mumak and a great beast but technically, you're compelling the commander, yeah. who then you know orders the beast around. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So, makes sense. so that's that's a little bit of a. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear if you come up against um, any heavy magic lists. Although at three hundred points, mm. you know you probably what budget wraiths or a witch king maybe. There's um, all I can think of is like budget wraith, Kurdan, but he's like support magic anyway. Yeah. Kardush, but yeah. Kardush is not even on the same no. sort of boat, I guess. He's more like an offense caster. So I think, I don't think there's many mages that can hold their own at this point in both combat and magic, I guess. I feel like that's another really good reason to bring them <laughs> yes. at this points level. Um, that's really cool. So is there anything else? Uh, like in terms of matchups, you mentioned like bows and magic. Is there anything in particular that you would really like to see on the other side of the table? Like what do you think you, your best chances go against? Well, I do want to touch on, you did mention budget magic and here's something that I only just thought of Ooh. that is a worry. Spectres and Sentinels. Ooh, and you might see some Sentinels. At, at 300 points, yeah. Sentinels do well. Yeah, same thing with... Um, I don't think Angmar is... Angmar is probably not as strong a list at 300. I think so, because they, they need like a bunch of pieces to come together yeah. to sort of 
um, yeah, empower the others. Whereas um, Lothlorien and uh, and Thranduil and Thrandaddy, yeah, Mirkwood, Mirkwood yep, Rangers, yep, they get it at three hundred. They they can put in some hurt. So that'll that'll be interesting to see because um, they're what courage are they? They are the captain is courage four. Really, um, courage four. Yeah, he's a brave orc. Wow. I mean, he's standing on top of a rhino. Yeah, I'd be pretty would, chuffed too. That would make you pretty brave. <laughs> Um, coach four with one will, so yeah, and obviously two might if you if you need to use that, but you don't want to. So look, they're they're pretty good, mm. but you know, double ones is still double ones, so mm. it's it's mm. it's always a worry. Mm. Okay, um, and uh, anything that you would like to see? Yeah, so I think as a rule, I think I don't. I think I don't mind value heroes, like those sort of two wounds, one fate, because mm. there's always that shot of the insta-kill. Yeah. Three wound heroes, I definitely can't stop in one go. And any of those models that have, that are like, like I'm thinking Creebane or Bat Swarms, mm. any of those models that can just 100% tank my charge, mm. um, especially those ones in particular because they have fly, but I guess... Are there any other sort of like three wound mods that I can? Not really. Not outside really. of like monsters. That's an interesting um, point about the monsters. So like uh, trolls or, or troll chieftain. Is that like how does that match up? I and I'm unclear on this rule. Can do you reckon? Can you hurl a a war beast? See, I feel like it's a no, but I'm not. I hum- feel like the law of common sense would dictate that that would be a little bit too far-fetched. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, like, it's either... Uh, because these guys are strength six, and in my yes. head, it's like that's a threshold, but I know that that's in but, terms of, like, if you get knocked down or not. I don't yeah. know if that just means that you can't be hurled if you're strength six. Because I know, I know knocked down... Is monster for monstrous charge is if you're the highest strength you can knock down anything. Right. Yeah, okay. Is that the same for hell? Anyway, if that is the case, I'm scared of hurling monsters. Anything yeah. strength seven. Yeah. If not though, I don't think they pose much bigger like any much bigger a threat than any just big hero outside of that chunky strength seven to my defence seven, which is is ten is hard to to, to reach. But you've got six wounds, whereas they yes. only generally have three, right? Yeah. Um, um, and you've got the two six strength six impact hits. In terms of when you're in combat, I, I'm i not actually familiar with, like, what's the profile in terms of the attack and output when you're yeah. face to base? This, this is an important question. So they're fight four, which right. is bad. Yes. But that's okay. They're not meant to fight. Um, they're three attacks base, so if I charge, it'll be four attacks. Okay. Which is a good amount of dice. You yeah. probably soak a five or a six. Yeah. Um, it just depends how much you're fighting. But again, this is this is why I think they're going to do well at three hundred, right? Because in in your head, when you picture that, you're picturing like Umulmark versus Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. But I don't think that's going to play out too often mm. with these two guys. Mm. I kind of think it's more going to be one of them's fighting Aragorn. And like two dudes, and then one of them's fighting an orc, and then that guy just, you know, tramples what's not an orc. Why would they be on the same team? Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to pull you up on it. Yeah. Just let it slide. <laughs> um, and then he like 
finishes what's left and now suddenly it's like Aragorn's fighting one whilst, you know, some rando's fighting the other and then eventually yeah. it's... And Monster we just mash the, in the middle. grind the sort of rest out. And yeah, yeah. The, the combats I lose to an Aragorn, which will be everyone, doesn't matter as long as we get the sort of the charge off and all that sort of stuff. So Yeah, and, and equally, as long as the other model is putting in the work, right? Because yeah. this, you know, you can afford to have one um, being roadblocked as long as the other one can trample away and, you know, potentially break the enemy. And then it doesn't matter so much if their big piece is still on the board because they're broken. So they've given up some victory points. Yes. and. Yeah. Um, equally, you know, if they start melting away with um, courage checks, then it kind of snowballs very quickly at 300 points. And depending on the hero's sort of defense as well, those orcs can shoot into that combat. Mm. So they can shoot into the Great Beast combat, which, you know, we're probably going to lose. But if it's Aragorn and like three Rohan's warriors with bow, I can potentially shoot and kill them mm. before the dice are even rolled. So... And also heroes on horses, right? Yes. Like on the off chance that you um, trample into them in the horse or, you know, if they charge you, for example. Yeah. Then yep. you can, you know, piff how many shots into them. And try That's and a good point. Yeah. If, if, if Aragorn comes at me with his 10-inch charge and I yeah. can't match it, I get, what, six shots to try and take out his horse? It's, it's not, pretty good. It's not like a sure thing, but it, it is... Uh, definitely something that you should plant in your opponent's mind. Mm. Of like, I oh, just so you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can still shoot in combat, um, <laughs> and just so that then they're second guessing, right? <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, overall there there is a lot of play. I want to come up against like anything that just defense six or defense four. Those are the two good thresholds for me, um, and just the less bows the better because in a couple practice games I had against Merkwood, they could kill the um, captains. Mm. So the captains and all the other orcs have the, the howder in the way save, which is just a four up. And then the howders, I think, defense 10, but three wounds or something. Maybe defense nine. I would have thought it would be in a five up. Nah, it's, it's a good howder. Yeah, it's, right. it's made of uh, high quality orc material. Yeah, okay. Mm. <laughs> no, but I, I kind of agree. But Yeah, sure. Um, but it's still possible, you know. Yeah, yeah. The the captain's being defense five, so anything with like strength three shooting is a bit scary. Yeah. Um, because if that captain goes, we lose the might, we lose the courage four, we're back down to courage two, which is so rampageable. Mm. Um. But I think with the sort of the combination of being able to kite and shoot, I think that's huge at three hundred points. Because I'm bursting like let's say ten to fifteen models. If I can kill three before we even hit, that's massive. Um, the ability to, to trample chaff. Um, so like if I burst Goblin Town, like that's still going to be an uphill battle, I think, because Goblin Town's the whole thing. But um, I can churn through troops as well as fight the big boys. Is Goblin Town that much of an issue though? Because they're only, what, they're Courage 2. Are they actually going to be able to even <sighs> at, charge you? At 300 points... If they brought like the scribe or whatever, and they bring it yeah, in six goblins a turn, but hey, no judgment if you do it, but don't do that. <laughs> I will judge you on Geordie's behalf. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, even then, they'd break and it'd be a whole thing. Maybe it, maybe they're okay. Yeah. But I'm thinking like equivalent, I guess. Um, yeah. So I think there's there's play here in in the two different ways that 300 meta 
has developed. Mm. Mm. I'm really excited to hear how they go on the day. I think it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, what other people bring. Um, but yeah, really keen to, to hear how these guys, um, fare in, on the day. Well, uh, with that, I guess I should, uh, pack my case and let's go. So it begins. All right, g'day guys, Geordie here at the end of round one for Minimize. I'm here with my opponent, Henry Kerr. How are we guys? Um, so that was an interesting start. So I'll start with your army. You've just brought Moria. Yes, so I brought Absolute Spam Moria. Came with three goblin captains. One of them was the leader, two with shields, one with bow, and a Moria shaman. Uh, tried my best to have my goblins spread out throughout the warbands. I think the breakdown was eight and one, eight and another, uh, five bowmen with the captain with bow, and then uh, six with the shaman. Yeah, look, that was a wicked list. When I read that in the like player profiles, I was like, fuck yeah, someone's got Moria. Spam. Here we go, baby. Yeah, that's the way. You have to. Every, there has to be at least one Moria army representing the Spam side. People yeah. can play the monsters and the beasts, but there has to be at least one Spam. Yeah, we don't need no cave trolls here. Nah. Um, so I'll, I'll go over your, your like painting and, and the I guess the army style. So you've gone for the very movie sort of aesthetic is that right yeah so this is what this is actually the first army i ever painted uh i started this hobby probably about 10 11 years ago now i would have been probably 10 or 11 years old when i started damn yeah so i've been playing for a while now since a very young age and uh, mario was my first passion uh, so i painted them a while ago but the great thing about mario goblins is that they're a very simple set for getting started uh, so, you know, basic colours, you put a bit of green on for the skin, bit of red, bit of silver, bit of brown, and you're there. And uh, put a wash on them and they look great. Uh, should probably do some work with fixing up the bases. It is just a standard uh, PVA glue, then sand, then painted the sand uh, to make it look like the floor of Mario with, you know, like the rubble and the grey yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so look, I'm pretty happy with how they turned out. Most of the, the brown grass tufts have come off, but uh, yeah, <laughs> they, uh, they've lasted the test of time. No, the, I was going to say, I didn't realise that would be first time because they're pretty... They're pretty good, like tabletop, easily tabletop standard. I think that's the definition of tabletop standard is, <laughs> is those goblins. You know, you look at them, they don't look up close, they don't look too good, but on the table, they I think they look quite cohesive. Yeah. All right, and then we'll get on to the game. Um, this was a pretty interesting start. So the scenario was retrieval, which for those who don't have the, the extra books, it's essentially just like capture the flag, basically. Um, so take us through, what were you thinking when you rocked up and you saw my two great beasties? Well, my first thought was, this is going to be a lot of fun, because I hadn't looked at the table, hadn't really paid much attention to the mission, and I just thought, this is going to be fun. Uh, I may not have thought it's going to be the most enjoyable, but I knew it was going to be fun. Uh, and I love playing with Geordie, uh, so I was, I was just happy to be playing against a mate, honestly. Yeah, and... Um it was, it was definitely a fun game. It was very difficult on your part, I would say. But we had like a cool like, I don't know what you call it, like cat and mouse or like, I, I was just sort of like these two big dudes hovering over this big area and you just had to like skirt through. Yeah, it was like two big guard dogs trying to trying to keep me out of the paddock. Um, so my whole the whole layout of the board was that there was kind of three main channels uh, with big buildings and forests blocking the uh, blocking the approach to his side of the board. 
So I kept my main contingent in the middle with the Fury, uh, so that if he took my bait that I left in the middle with one of his great beasts, at least then I'd have the Fury to slow down the charge, and if I got could bog down that one great beast with the Fury then charging, then that's 50% of his army out of the way, and that leaves one of the flanks open for me to uh, move towards his objective. Uh, what ended up happening was he didn't take the bait, he went for the two flanks, which is the right move. I then had to respond by marching my middle contingent up to the middle to try to bait him back. Uh, and from that point on, it was just a lot of shooting, whittling down my numbers more than I expected. Uh, I probably could have played it a bit better with trying to ping the Fury off of Standfasters once I broke. I was potentially expecting to break even just a turn later would have helped. Mm. Um, so yeah, just I think I just lost too many numbers too quickly. Um, look, the courage tests were actually better than I expected. Yeah, I should be very happy. Gobblers. Yeah, uh, you can never blame goblins for running away after you break. That's on the commander, <laughs> not on the goblins. Uh, and I have a good thing going with my goblins. Uh, so yeah, look, no, Geordie played it well. He made the right decisions, and uh, I think I just. Uh, could have could have ma- uh, microed a little bit better, and you know maybe there would have been a different result. But uh, yeah, felt like I was up against it, but we had a good game. But yeah, even um, even you were already sort of hard up against it, but you would come into this game with a bit of misinformation. <laughs> yes, my good friend Joshua Coleman. I'm going to name him. Uh, <laughs> he told me that they only had one might, that being the orc commanders on the top. So I played my might quite hard and fast early. Now I have a lot of might, and going to this tournament. I knew having this many goblins and this many captains that my advantage would be numbers and might. Uh, so I was expecting, look, you know, he'd get two turns if he played it as well as he could of heroic moves off in the, you know, the roll off. Uh, and then I was expecting to have free reign with my last remaining two, I think, two might points or maybe one mm, might point that mm, was after that. Yep, but that probably would have yep. been enough. Um, thinking about it again, probably would have been better to just do my standard moves. Yes. I needed to get out of my deployment. That, uh, to be honest, and the marches really helped with that because if I had have only been moving five inches, you then could have gotten out on the flanks, and then I wouldn't have been able to get through anyway. Yep. Um, so I needed yep. to put pressure on you, um, and my and I was planning on baiting in one of the great beasts. So to use that march would have basically gotten an entire warband potentially, uh, maybe lost one or two to shooting, would have got me to, onto the objective, even yep. if another flank had been hurt. Uh, but yeah didn't manage the mic correctly those two might came up at the end on his old commanders <laughs> yes. and uh, he used them to a devastating effect but uh, look that's just the way that the cookie crumbles sometimes good stuff um, and so yeah after after all that I mean the orc shooting really pulled through I was getting one to two goblins a turn which was pretty sick um, the score was 5-1 yeah Yep, 5-1 in the end. I think you get one point for having just moved the objective, which, honestly, once I locked that in, I knew I wasn't going to get a crushing loss, so I was pretty happy with that. We uh, could have played for the minor loss and keeping the goblin who had it safe, but, uh, you know, I wanted to go for the for the, for the the draw if I could by getting it, you know, the miracle win. Yeah. <laughs> the miracle uh, heroic, not heroic, uh, lit courage test and get him to my side of the board. One in a thousand chance, but you got to go for it sometimes. Yeah, I'd, I'd take the draw over the yeah. over the yeah, minor yeah, loss. Yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. Nah, good stuff. Thanks, Henry. No worries, Geordie. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Okay, so round one, uh, the scenario was retrieval. Yep, yep. You had Henry Kerr and his lovely um, goblins. This is kind of an interesting scenario for you to play with the Great Beast. Great Beast, yes. Right? Because you can't... Capture the flag. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I mentioned it in our interview. So, the rule for war beasts is the people on top are not allowed to willingly dismount unless otherwise specified, which is like the repelling lines for an oliphant. Mm. So, none of my figures can physically grab, or could physically grab Henry's flag. And, okay, so did you make that abundantly clear at the start of the scenario? Yeah, absolutely. Because... 
Because if Henry's playing with the mindset that I could get his, suddenly maybe he leaves like, yeah. a, you know, 15 goblins at his base to try yeah. and stop it and stuff. Whereas I know that's just not the case. Um, so any any rules I thought needed to be clarified, I, I went over with my opponent. Um, unfortunately, Henry with his uh, might misinformation. I wish I knew that because um, I would have definitely told him they have two each. <laughs> And um, I had my little whiteboard and they had the two might next to it and sort of stuff, but... <sighs> Swings and roundabouts. Look, if I had a, a might for every time I got a um, stat wrong, I would have more might than gambling pre-nerfing. That's good. That's that was a, very good. That's a niche I wasn't reference. sure if you're, going, if you're going with like Boromir or like Aragorn, but no. Gambling, that's got to be like the maximum. Endless. Endless forgetfulness. <laughs> um, so, it sounded like it was, uh, it made for uh, kind of an interesting standoff um, to a certain degree. Like, he's yep. running as fast as he can to yep. force you to come out, but then it's kind of cat and mouse game. Yeah, it was It was sweet. It, like, not in any literal sense, but it kind of played out like a scenario, right? It played out like, I'm like the shepherding, like the shepherd dog, and he's got to try and get past me. It was actually, like, really fun. Yeah, right. And what size board were you playing on? Are they all three by threes for this? They were three by four. Um, Interesting. Which I think, like, minorly came into play. It sort of meant that his left flank was oh so slightly closer by what would have been, like, six inches or maybe three inches um, closer the way the deployment worked because this one is deployed on, like, a big diagonal. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it like, you know, 300 points, um, you know, on a four by four... That's a lot of space. Oh, that's like a lot of ground. Much. Yeah, it's too much yeah, ground yeah. to cover, especially on those scenarios where you're kind of deploying further back. Um, so, but interesting that it was three by fours as opposed to three by three. Three by three, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure on the on the on the Hauser wise, um, but look, all the boards there looked amazing. That's sort of one of the, I think one of the cornerstones of Lord of the Rings community is like the boards that we play on are just like absolute top notch across the board. That's a good pun. Um, <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Um, I, th- I think that's it, part of that, though, is down to the fact that it's such like you know we we take so much stock from the film, and the film set design was you know as important as the actors at mm, times. Yep. Um, and and so to recreate what this story is all about, you have to have those. Um, you know those moments from the movie, yeah. and the only way to do that is to have really amazing terrain. And I think we're we're pretty lucky in, especially in the Melbourne uh, and broader kind of Victoria um, region, um, that there's quite a few really good terrain makers. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're very generous with kind of letting their terrain go. Uh, around to all the different tournaments. Yeah, I mean, you're one yourself, Albert. Um, but yeah, oh, there's thank you. <laughs> there's there's a lot of and they're, they're they're pretty prolific as well. Like you'll, I, I like I know Tim donates like three to four boards a tournament, and I'm sure Jeremy donates like three to four as well. Like it's just like yeah, a lot of skill, a lot of time that just gets offered to the community, which is sick. Um, and this board in particular had a very interesting bit of terrain. So Henry won the the roll off to pick which side, and that was comes very important because my objective was actually like on the inside of this sort of coliseum looking thing mm. so my great beasties actually couldn't get in like physically near mm. i'd say maybe a four inch bubble my um objective that's really interesting so the goblins could sneak through yes but you couldn't actually play 
really kind of hard defense, hard yep. up against your objective. I couldn't just like plant them like on the objective in this like, like L shape and I utterly think, deny. I think I know that exact terrain piece. <laughs> yes. I think I saw it at Sill a couple of years ago. And yeah, that's that, that makes for um, quite a, a, a difficult... So how did you play around that? Yeah, honestly, I think it made for a better game. Not that I would have just planted anyway. I, you know, you want to be a little bit proactive and then I just mm. sort of would, would have retreated onto it. But um, yeah, so I sort of played... I had put my two beasties, you know... On the outside of that Colosseum, sort of as close as I could. And as you heard in the interview, there were like three different like channels, I mm, guess. Mm. One of them was really tight and that's where Henry's bulk of the force was. And then he had like a, a group on each side. Uh, he um, he ran the two sides up. I believe he even marched on with both of them. And then that group in the middle, he kept back out of my eight inches. I think he, maybe he put two models up for bait. And I was like, well, and there was about maybe 15 to 20 models, whereas there was like six on each of the wings. I sort of thought, well, look, these wings are closer anyway, so I'd rather kill the immediate threat, whereas those goblins are minimum three to four turns, where the wings were maybe two to three. So I sent my beasties just out to the wings. I think one of them chewed up his side pretty well with bows and the, turn, the charge in the next turn and all that sort of stuff. So there was like... Once I had capitulated both those sides, I ran back to the middle um, with both of them as his sort of like big bulk of his army made it. Now the wing still had one to two goblins, but I just sort of had to accept that a goblin's making it through. Mm. And now my job was to break him. And so now that he brought his bulk forward, I could just, you know, charge and decimate them. But I mean, the, I guess the trade-off is if he never ran forward with that middle bit, the guys in the Colosseum sort of section weren't escaping anyway because mm. the the end condition was break and the only way for henry to win was to either like break me or to get his objective back to his side so as easy as it was to get in there i'm very capable of stopping him from getting out mm. so he couldn't just keep the bulk of his force back either mm. um so i think i think henry played to the best he could and he did do well to like skirt past the beasties but you know, strength of numbers, someone's getting through. And then it just sort of, uh, yeah, it just sort of went from there. But it was absolutely ripper game and real fun. Do you think it would have been any different if he had have gone hard up the middle? Yeah. That, that's like just thinking about it, like trying to not, it, less less of kind of a, a, a bait, but more of a you have to shut yeah. down the middle. Yeah. And then I've got these two chances, um, so you you can't close down like because by doing that, that great beast would have been fully committed mm -hmm. to that, mm -hmm. and and they would have been fully shaman terror bubbled. Yep. So they would have been able to swarm and just force the issue, and that way you would he would have had at least one group of six gobos with yes. Kaplan yep. captain free to move on to the objective. Yeah, me and Henry talked after the game and I think that was the, sort of the first thing that... We both sort of came to that conclusion, I think. After after the first turn of Henry not charging and me not taking the bait, he sort of realised, like, oh, the bait wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we, we sort of said that. And yeah, I agree. If he just, you know, ran that bulk of, you know, 20 goblins forwards whilst there was a little wing of six, well, I'm going to go for the 20. And with the... He had Fury in the centre... If I lose that roll-off, he's definitely charging. Mm. And, of course, he would have still presumably had, like, even after a good, decent trample, um, 
he would have still had like 15 goblins, surely, something like that. There's chances he causes me to um, to rampage, but even if he doesn't, you know, he's a 50% chance to get the charge and nullify a beast for a whole turn anyway, like... It's buying time, right? Yes, like buying time for thing. the for the goblins. And if he had a full squad of six, including a captain, he's And much... if he had have realised he had the second point of might for that extra mark... Well... <laughs> well then, that really changes things. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of the one thing. But I think even doing that, I do think Henry was up against it. And oh, I want to say his odds of winning was low going into it, like real low. So... It's a hard matchup yeah, for goblins. It's one to, of those, yeah. Like, you know, when when their numbers and that you know they can't trap, right? So yes, that's, that's one right. Of the, the key things that they're relying on at the low points level is to get the traps. So and the captains go to fight four, which would have been the break point. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it's it would I I if if I were in Henry's position, I definitely would have um, had the small brain of <laughs> oh fuck oh fuck oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I can't win. Let's just not care. Yeah. Um, but it, again, like, it was really fun to play that game of, like, Shepherd, And I think Henry had a good time sort of playing that game of how do I get as many through as I can and, mm, and, and how do I get back out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of boils down to a really interesting kind of problem to solve. Yeah. Right. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we move on to round two? No, I think that was that was about it. Henry did a good job of like hiding models behind those like big buildings and stuff for shooting like the the shaman for example. He stuck around the whole game because the fearless was so important. Mm. But no, that was about it. That was yeah, it was just really good fun. Great way to start the tournament. All right, g'day guys. Geordie here after round 2 and I'm here with my opponent James. Hey, how's it going? All right, so that was I mean, that was Quick, brutal, but really fun. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was probably the fastest I've lost a game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bearing the lead, but that's good. So, yeah, you brought Dale today. Um, do you want to tell me about like the list and the color scheme that you went for? So uh, I'm running the OG Dale list, which is a Geryon, uh, a captain, uh, six bows, and then a bunch of spears and shields and swords wherever I need it, uh, and one banner. Uh, generally, the uh, scheme that I went for was just like. Uh, warrior models are going to have a nice bright kind of color scheme with them, nice red and yellow uh, all over them, so very bright compared to the rest of my armies. Yep, yep. Uh, and the uh, captains, I've decided to chuck them in blue and yellow just so it's easily distinguishable from my opponent what I'm actually running and where they all are. Yeah, because so the. No um, there is no captain there model. There is no captain model. Yeah. But I do like what you've done because it's a very deep blue, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. quite like regal, I guess you would say. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was aiming for, for like a kind of like, because I, I imagine, I don't know the law particularly well, but I imagine the captains are kind of, you know, a bit of an upper tier, you know, almost nobleman, lower nobleman kind of level. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of for sure, for that's so, cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely love the kind of the style with it. Uh, the problem with my bases, however, is that I did them last night. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> bunch of 3D printed bases, they don't have any flat points because I just didn't file them down. So you oh, can't yeah. glue, uh, the models haven't glued down yet. Yeah, we had uh, a couple knocks, didn't we? Yeah, two or three models have uh, already kind of face-planted when I picked one up. Uh, <laughs> and I had another one that uh, last game, I, f uh, I flicked it on accident with a dice, and it just oh, went about, you know, <laughs> two, three feet off to the side and just gone out of the fight entirely. Doing his own thing. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I absolutely love the match. Uh, your, your army is beautifully painted. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, um, what did you think sort of going into this? The scenario we rolled up was hold ground. Yeah, a little bit rough. Um, Honestly, uh, I needed you to not roll the side that I was being, being yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, had to spend might on uh, 
your captain, I think it was, to keep both my forces side by side instead of yeah, that's you right. dropping one on the other side of the map for me and being completely split up. Uh, and then you proceeded to roll a, two, a four and a five, yeah, wasn't it? I yeah. rolled the two <laughs> dice for Maelstrom exactly as I needed. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, trample turn one, I think? No, turn two, because I did get a move out of the way. Yes, yeah. you heroic moved out yeah. of the way. Although I think I got like one lad in or something yeah, one, like that. Yeah, one, one guy got. I think you tagged one dude and he just didn't die. Yeah. He, and then he died to the combat, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll, de I'll describe it. You were in like one of the bottom corner edges and there's an in this massive fucking river yeah. that I guess I sort of like shoehorned you into because you yeah. had rolled low on your maelstrom. Yeah, it was a two and a three, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I sort of put you in, in a mix of the river because war beasts don't care about water. And... Turn one, yeah, got the one lad, and I think I either positioned near Girion. Yeah, I think I positioned near Girion. Yeah, yeah, you had you and had then, one in a way that you could hit Girion the second turn. It yeah. wasn't immediate, but yeah, yeah, it was it was close. And so I think I won the first roll. Off. Uh, first won the first roll off on the the turn you could trample. Yes. Me. Yeah. Um, didn't yeah. kill or anything, but dude, the defense seven just held right. Yeah, yeah. I got a. I had six guys with six dice almost each turn. Because Courage 3, you know, kind of all right. And uh, I think I rolled two wounds total in, yep. in combat. Yep. Uh, and one lucky bow shot that hit an orc in the top of a <laughs> top of a howdah and not the leader. Yeah, so it wasn't a complete uh, a complete trampling. There was yeah. one kill on your side. Yeah, one kill on my side. And I think I got two or three wounds total on the war beast. It's just so hard to punch through that D7. Like, yeah. everything needing sixes, it's so hard to do. Because I was very worried. I think turn three or something, you won a heroic move off. Or maybe I won and just failed to trample one of the two. Well, and you had like 12 models that could charge me and, and get the goods on me, but... Yeah, I rolled the, yeah, the, five, six, didn't make it. The, the just, sort of terror yeah. mixed with the high defense and yeah. inability to trap, you just couldn't get in there. Like, yeah. couldn't do the damage. And the ones that could get in just didn't do damage yeah. to actually, like, make you worry at all, really. Uh, and then it was, what, turn three, four, roughly, as I lost half my army and broke on turn yes, five. Yes, we had broken the, the turn after two. A, a pretty good trample. I think I got five dudes straight or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, uh, there was a six you, you took down. <laughs> there was a sixer? Yeah, oh, my six. God, that's bad. Uh, it, was, it was good, though. It was like, it, hell of a lot of fun, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was good fun. And it, it was straight into the action. So even though it was like a quick game, I guess, it was only quick because we were straight on it, whereas yeah. other people are like scattered around doing all that. Yeah, like yeah. The, the, the Maelstrom rolls were very much uh, the, what caused the, caused the win here. The yep. Easy win, at least. Yep. Say. Yeah, if, if we were separate, like there would have been a, a bit of shooting from your end and a bit of like maneuverability that you could dodge me, yeah. but because we were straight in there, there was, yeah. there was no hope. So it did end up being a 12-0 because hold ground, I think, favours. My army pretty yeah. heavily with uh, what is it? Twenty models total, I think. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Yeah, yeah the yeah. war beast counts as one. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, I'm I'm on t eighteen. So yeah, you outnumbered so me. So even if we just yeah. in the center and didn't fight. <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still your win. But yeah, uh, the 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 model count on the war beasts is, is amazing. I, I'm, mm. I absolutely love running them myself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, just having an extra nine models that your opponent doesn't really think about. Yeah, it's 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 so good. Yeah, they they own whatever objective they're touching. Yeah, like yeah. if this was. Um, I'm trying to think domination. Maybe you'd have a shot at like tagging a few yeah, different ones. Yeah, tag and neutralize and I would it just, so you couldn't yeah. get it. Yeah, but even then. Yeah, yeah even then it's difficult. Yeah. But no, really good game. Thanks for, thanks for the game, James. Yeah, not a problem, Jody. All right, so we're back. Round two, James Gatewood. Hold ground. Yes. This has got to be <laughs> the most unfortunate <laughs> case of maelstromification uh that you could possibly hope for oh if i was if i was james i would have uh <laughs> i might have cried um 
So the the thing I didn't we didn't mention in the interview um, that was very important actually was in this version of Maelstrom, David Leonard chucked a little spin on it, and I do think it's a positive spin. Ooh. And look, potentially could and maybe should be the rule. If you won the roll off, you could elect for a warband to roll a one. Right. Oh. So what that actually means? Just is one warband or all the warbands? Any 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 ones you want. You could elect to roll a one. So, going second, uh, rather, if you enter the battlefield first, so say in this example, I rolled to go first, yeah. I elected for both my Warbeasts to roll a one. So, yeah. I'm coming in next turn. Yeah. What that means is the player who's forced, quote unquote, to come in first, to actually come in first, um, gets to walk onto the table. Mm. Then, they get an entire like move phase again where they can... Well, if they win the roll-off, I guess. I was going to say, because it comes down to priority at the end Still comes down to priority. Um, They get an entire turn to move again. Mm. And or if they lose the priority and go second, they're allowed to charge turn one. Whereas Mm. most armies, I mean, obviously I can do that, but most armies can't still run in and ambush you turn one. Mm. So it helps the player who's forced to go first. Mm. Uh, or to move on to the battlefield first, which I really appreciate because, as we all know, Maelstrom can really mess up the, the player who's forced to arrive first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, as was the case here. So, so James <laughs> James um, elected to not roll ones for his warbands? Oh, that- no, he wasn't allowed. So, I, I got priority first turn. Quote, unquote. So, I was allowed to not enter. Right. So, you chose ones. I rolled ones across the board. Right. Um, okay. James wasn't allowed to do that because he was second. Yeah, yeah. So, you have to come on. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I mean, he still rolls naturally. Yeah, so, yeah, if he course, rolls a one, course. he rolls a yeah, one. Yeah. But he... But you can't, you can't force the one. Yes. So yes. Yeah. Only the player goes first. And so, now, the other cool thing is winning priority turn one is not... The downside it is normally yep. for Maelstrom. Yep. You you hate winning turn one priority in a Maelstrom. Yeah. Um. So look, props to David. I really appreciate the change, and I think look. I mean, to but we have to say elephant in the room, or rather the rhino in the rhino room. In the room. Um. Even with that <laughs> additional rule, being great beasts or being chariots, um, in Maelstrom is it's quite handy. Quite it was handy. oh, it was juicy. Um, <laughs> as as you heard in the interview, there was one corner with a river, and one of the war beast rules is they just flat ignore water terrain. So I put James as as sort of close to the river as I could, um, and so he walked through some of it and around some of it and all that. But uh, ultimately, turned to he did move first, but he had to traverse in a certain, in a particular way that he couldn't get out of, like, fully out of eight inches of the board edge. Could he have marched? Did he have any march on the board? He did, actually. That's a potential... That was a potential way out of it. I wouldn't have thought of that in the heat of the moment, but being cool, calm and collected, you know, mm. a week away and not having yeah, played the exactly. tournament at all, those kind of insights come to me very easily. Yes, he did have a captain. Um, so, potentially could have marched, maybe would have saved him, but maybe he was just ho- hoping for those, like move roll-offs yeah because yeah, um, because i like two turns i'll move 16 inches two turns yeah. he'll move 14 inches or something so i'm getting him no matter what yeah um yeah the turn one trample i think whiffed and then the other guy the other beastie maybe killed two or something like that 
but then turn two, the all-important roll-off, and uh, I won it. And I got a charge into Girion with, um, I think, two dudes dead along the way, and my other beastie, I think eight, maybe two more dudes or something like that. And uh, When you've only got 18 guys to start with, it's, yeah, it's hard. That's really hard. So what did you guys do after you finished the game? Because you must have finished <laughs> it up pretty early. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon we were you know, one and done in, in 30 minutes. I think, like, like we said in the interview, I think it's because other Maelstrom sort of played out a little more normally where, like, mm. you've got people on every which side and they all entered apart from each other. So it took, like, five turns of movement, whereas I got lucky and I reckon I rolled, like, a four and a five or something, so I was exactly where I needed and uh, trembled through. Um, the, the sort of big play, quote-unquote, was I, after having stomped, like, 10 dudes, I ran one of the beasties to the middle to just score that um, to, to score the actual hold ground and then mm. in case the game ended on the one or the two I would have got the full points for the centre and I wouldn't have cared I guess if the other beastie died but in saying that I think I had squashed Kyrian and I had squashed uh, the captain right. so it was all fight fours across the board anyway Yeah. and uh, yeah not much he can do at that point there was not much he could do it from the start <laughs> It's interesting though, like there's, I don't think that there's actually many auto wins in this game. Mm. Like that's a kind of a corner case situation where your list, the scenario and the deployment mechanics all align to the holy trifecta. Yes. Um, But it's not like, that's not a, a, I guess a, a common tendency, which in my mind, kind of makes it a little bit more palatable and a bit more bearable when you come up against it because yeah. it's like, well, what are the bloody odds of this happening? <laughs> no, I do agree because even look, my list, that scenario, I'm starting on, on, a, on a good foot, but I need to enter second yeah. and I need to enter second within reach. Yeah. So, and I need to enter second with them both together. Yeah. Um, and so, your, your Maelstrom rolls were perfect. Yep. Right? So, again, like, luck of the dice ultimately also plays in. Yeah, like, if I, you know, James enters where he enters and then I happen to roll, like, a two and a three and, bam, I'm on the other side of the board. Mm. It's a normal game from here on. Yep. Um, Or I enter first. I walk in with both my beasties and then James enters wherever he likes. Doesn't matter, near me, away from me. Spends all his mind to make sure (laughs) he's as far away. As far away as he can be. We play a normal game again. And the, the funny thing is, one of the things that I do think the BC list is a little bit scared of is strength three shooting because mm. they can actually hit the captain. And once you take the captain down, the beastie's courage two and suddenly the rampage is a real thing. But the sort of one strength three shooting list that I went against, and I think he had, it was either it was six or eight, but I think it would have been six. Because I don't think, oh, with Girion. Girion is like a whole other thing. So he had like, between six and eight, because Girion can like multi shoot. I yeah, Girion's an interesting one. It's I quite like like I, I'm not as familiar with the Hobbit profiles at all yep. because I yep. you know I, my own prejudice. Um, but like so he has three potential shots, right? Yes. So as when he gets on a roll, then he gets the three three shots, right? He has to hit them, and every yes. time he as hits, he rolls to hit, you roll a new one to a cap of three. That's a much better way of explaining it. 
Um, and is it a strength four bow? That he he's does rocking? have he does have the greatest bow in Middle Earth. It is strength four. It's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting choice of person to give it to. Um, no, I quite like Kieran's profile. I do too. Is... Look, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm just saying, of all the bows, Numenor had steel bows. Uh, giving well, Numenor are lacking, but the Dalesmen are very renowned for their bow bowmanship. This is true. This is true. That's uh, that's their cornerstone. They got the almighty uh, Prince Brand. Does he even? Because he's one of the new profiles. This let's take this off the record. Because this is <laughs> no, irrelevant. We're keeping, we're keeping this in. <laughs> Does Prince Brand? He was he one of the new profiles released? Yes. Does he have a bow? No. He has. Wait, a spear. Why? That's his thing. <laughs> no. His it it was his uh, it was his grandfather's thing. Bard's Bard. thing. It was Prince Bard and then Brand and Brand was like, no, I'm going to go a sword. And then, okay. and then his son was like, well, you, my grandfather took the bow. My dad took the sword. I guess the spear is the only thing left for me. Oh, I, th- I think he was a bowman, but, uh, all right, we'll roll with spears. Why not? So after some, some swift research, we found that King Brand has the honorific title bearer of the bow and he wields Bard's, but the Bard's bow, but uh, look, apparently in game he's deciding, he's electing not to, not to rock it. He's just gone for the sword. An interesting choice, given <laughs> his heritage. <laughs> that's, all, that's, all, that's all we'll say. Um, round two though, uh, is there anything else to, to cover off before we, we move on to round three? No, and look, I think that tangent covered about everything. <laughs> Very good. All right, g'day guys. Jordy here at the end of round three, and I'm here with my good pal Jacob Lucas. Conquest Creations, represent. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) Um, So that was a pretty cool round three. Um, You've got a pretty interesting army, I would say. Yeah, I decided to go full on theme for this one. So I've got Golfumble leading a bunch of orcs and two spectres, and then a wild wag chieftain leading four wags and another spectre. Which um, Albert will be a big fan of that. So tell me um, how you went with like the painting because Goldfimble is a real interesting colour too. Yeah, so I went bright purple with him. I just want to do something fun and easy and I've been doing a lot of commission painting so I just want to do something for me where if it's a bit ugly, it doesn't matter because it's mine. So I just had fun. <laughs> I did bright colours. I did rusty armour and just, yeah, had well, a good time. I was it. actually going to point that out because I think Goldfimble's skin is actually really, really nice. So I think it shows a difference when you're painting to complete it and when you're painting to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. It makes, makes a really, really big difference. Um, just sitting down and enjoying the process and not worrying about how long it takes to paint something. That's it, It's yeah. so much better. I think it's something I see, obviously I make YouTube videos and all the time people are like, oh, how long did that take? It doesn't actually matter how long <laughs> yeah, things take. Exactly. It's about the process. Um, and even like just the process feels quick, right? When you're, when you're channeled into it and you're just enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. And you get much better results and Ultimately, you're just going to enjoy the hobby more. Yeah, painting 100%. is, you probably spend more time painting than actually playing, so I better enjoy it. <laughs> yep, exactly. And so the theme you've got going, a golfing bull raiding the Shire? Yeah, so the uh, all my models are on nice, bright, grassy bases with some nice rocks and flowers, and all my objective markers are dead hobbits. So Oh, oh that's what it meant. <laughs> golfing bull's raid of the Shire, so that's why he's got the wag, wild wag chieftain with him. Um, and yeah. I figured I probably don't want to make this army a big one. So for 300 point tournament, it's perfect. Yeah, and I reckon, and you were talking about the um, Wild Wild Chieftain. 
She's pretty cost efficient, right? Yeah, definitely. I think she's underrated. Um, and going into it, I understood why people don't particularly like her that much. And I played a few games where she just died pretty quickly. Mm. But so far this tournament, that fight five, three attack, strength six is just devastating. You just need to keep her safe. You can't throw her into another big hero. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But for chewing through elite troops or like great beasts of Gorgoroth, <laughs> there, there's no better counter. Good segue, but I will, I will stop there. I think, um, I think that people underrate her because she doesn't have knockdown. Yeah. And I definitely understand that. It means that she's not just point and click. Um, yeah. But with the specters pulling things around and the other wags that are fast, I found that I've gotten a lot of traps with her anyway. Exactly, so yeah. I don't need the knockdown if I've got the traps. That's it. Like, you're, you're, you're rewarded for better play with a model like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's just something you don't see that often and is a really cool model. Very true. All right, yeah, so onto the game. We had um, a pretty, like, a pretty fun scenario normally. It was a bit... in. Interesting for my beasties, but yeah. we played um, Capture and Control. Looking at your army and my army going into it, what were you sort of thinking? Look, you had two, more than two models, but effectively two models for getting objectives. So I knew I yep. just have to get the objectives. I wasn't sure how hard they were going to be to kill. Um, so I took all the objectives. That was the main priority. Yes. And then I just yep. wanted to die slowly um, and hopefully not get tabled. Now... Oh. <laughs> Obviously, I then took down one of the beasts. Yeah. And that really changed things because that's when it swapped from me being like, oh, I, I just need to stay alive until the game ends to, oh, shit. All right. All I right. could kill him. I could, yeah. I could do this. Yeah. So on, I think, maybe turn two, I think I won either the priority or the roll off. And I sent both of my beasties into your Wild Wild Chieftain. Yep. Three wounds, one fate. I did, I reckon, four on the dot, right? Yep. She passed her fate. That's it. So she was there for that combat and she... um. Yeah, you had like, I don't know, maybe 150, 200 points stacked on a, on one of my beasties. Yep. And you managed to pull off, I think, four wounds in the one round. Yeah, well, the Spectres really helped because they need fives to wound with their striking against Courage. And then the Wild Bug Chieftain needing fives to wound as well. Yeah, exactly. You, you can add up to five pretty quickly. Yeah, um, which was really sick because none of my beasts had died yet. So this mm. actually introduced the next element of the game, which is what to do with the crewmen. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I sort of got lucky i guess and did a decent couple of stampedes i i won the next roll-off i reckon i was lucky with the roll-offs yeah and then finished off the the chieftain and ate like maybe three or four orcs or something yeah i really i think i could have used the chieftain a little bit better i don't think she had to die when she did die um and really she was a great beast killer because she's the fight five that yep. counters the the beast fight four yeah um Engulfable does have strike, but we're burning through might quickly yeah, when the, you're the might's more important for the move off, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, cool. And then, um, so we got to sort of the tail end of the game. You were broken. I was like one off breaking because my ar archer Chad stayed alive. Yeah. Tell me about that last couple of turns. It was pretty hectic. Yeah. Look, it was pretty good. I I broke and everyone ran away except for one wag, and that one wag ran away, so he couldn't be seen by the archers. And he just sat in a corner, and I controlled all the objectives at that point. Yep. And then your great beast got the first one. Yep. The next turn, I passed my courage test with a wag. Game didn't end. It's okay. Game didn't it's end. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Next turn, pass courage test with my wag. But the great beast gets another objective. Game doesn't end. That's doesn't right. end though. So it's now two to three objective-wise. But the terrain's a bit awkward. The terrain. That's right. So you couldn't get the next one next turn. Otherwise, would have been over. Would have been. Yep. So you go to it. Wag passes its courage test again, and finally, game ends. Seven six. Game end, 7-6. Three Courage 2s in a row is pretty tasty. It's pretty good. Um, so for those who don't know, when you get a full tabling, 
score stays the same. So the score would have been 7-6 to you. Yeah. But I would have got the win. Yeah, which is kind of weird. But I, don't mind I, I think it's yeah. cool. Yeah, I think it's cool that you can 12-0 someone and still lose. <laughs> Jeez, that'd be impressive, <laughs> a tabling that's 12-0. It would be very good. <laughs> um, but it was a cool game and it was really clutch. Like, I mean, it was literally one of those ones, if, if the game keeps going, I get to take that last objective. Yeah. And if the game stops, you win, which is good because it rewarded you for playing to the objective. Yeah, and that's what I had to do because I wasn't going to kill you. No, no, for sure. All right, well... That about covers it. Cool. Thanks, Jacob. All right, good luck next round. Cheers. All right, round three. This one, uh, listening back to the interview, I was pretty chuffed. I was pretty excited. Yes. Um, not only because I really love the list that Jacob um, brought, but it's actually a really interesting matchup for your list. Yeah, it's got one of the, one of the things that I'm scared of. Uh, but, dude, Jacob's list was sick. Yeah. It was sick. Like, and I don't think, and, and I, I mean this in a good way, I don't think that was an optimized 300-point list. Not at all. That's what I mean. Like, against other lists, it, it probably would have... I mean, Jacob ended up doing very well <laughs> in the did, tournament. Yep. So, obviously, it wasn't... He's no slouch. Yeah. Uh, and the list is obviously no slouch either. But on paper, I look at that and I kind of uh, read golf in ball and go, ah, no. you're having a laugh. Trash. Yeah. Trash. But at 300 points, he scales down relatively well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and just the, you know, well, obviously the Wag Chieftain yep, as, yep. The, um, as the lieutenant. Super cost efficient for 300 Perfect points. Perfect 300 point hero. Perfect 300 point hero. And then to throw in um, the Spectres as well. Yeah. Um, just to give those cheeky shenanigans. Obviously, they're not moving anything around this game, right? Because they can't target the Great Beasts. No, they can. Oh, they can? They can target the Captain. Oh. So. Right. Did that come into they're it? They're very scary for my list. They're like. I didn't realize and, that. And unlike trend, uh, Compel, rather, in theory, they can move me to full eight. Ah, mm. uh, yeah, so Spectres and, and Sentinels, very scary. Interesting, interesting. Okay, I take it all back. <laughs> um, no, really cool sounding list, and it sounded like it was a really interesting game. Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was sort of the counter to the Maelstrom being sort of like in my favor. Capture Control, I think, was the one, like, board control style scenario that I was worried about against Jacob's list. Because mm. he has such sort of low courage across the board. If this was domination, I'd just break him and trust that his orcs run away. Yeah. Because it's capture and control. And, and uh, this, is, this isn't to like, you know, oh, this is why I lost. Like, because it was capture and control, I think Jacob played it exactly right. And he just tagged each of the five objectives and then ran in and sort of Hail Mary, he either killed me or he died. Mm. And either way, you know, he benefited from because ideally the game ends quickly and I don't capture anything, etc. Or he manages to, to fluke the kills on one or both my beasties and, and sort of accidentally win, I guess. And remind me, this one, this scenario, it uh, ends on break? Yeah, it's a... Random game length ends on break. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. Cool. So, how did how did it all start? Like, how did the the game kind of ramp up, so to speak? 
I think Jacob might have moved first and just sort of pushed everyone up and sort of copped the charge, I think. I believe is how it sort of happened. Like, I think he gave up one wag, maybe one or two wags to a, to a beastie and then um, maybe a random orc or something. And mm. I, just because I may as well. And I was going that way anyway. I'll just walk through them. Um, so, sort of, I just moved up in range of his whole army and he had essentially everyone bar like one or two scouting models to go and grab the side objectives. And the one that was technically in my back half. Um, and then turn two was just like that, that classic, like roll beast, great beast roll off. Um, mm. I won this one, I think. And maybe... Was it Goldfimble calling it on his side? Yeah, I think for, for most of them, Goldfimble started with the calls just because the Wild Wild Chieftain doesn't actually affect yeah. the Orcs. So yeah. Goldfimble's the only one who can actually affect change here. Yeah. And I think maybe he won this one or something. Um, or potentially, uh, maybe I won both of these, but I think my first charge was pretty ineffectual. Right. Like, I think maybe maybe I wounded the Wild Wild Chieftain or something. Or, like, it was it was not as big as I wanted, Not basically. the big impact you wanted. Yeah. Um, but the way that the battle lines unfolded, um, you had Goldfimble and the Wild Wild Chieftain next to each other. And a bunch of orcs, and then he had like maybe a wag or two, and a bunch of orcs on the other side, on like the other beastie. Because um, the great beast never back away. Um, mm. I think that was semi important here because the wild wild chieftain had to back away a full inch. Which the next turn, I called the heroic move, and both my beasties went forwards. They both were able to get into the wild wild chieftain in a very direct line because sure. any orcs touching this one had to back away. So I was able to just like do the the slight pivots and and got them both in mm. with the chieftain, which was this was my big move because that's the only fight four, oh, sorry, it's higher than fight four on the board. So that mm. was the only fight five model. Everything else was fight three. Goldfimble can technically strike, but each time he strikes, that's one like free heroic move that I get and just get to stomp. And also the Wag chieftain in terms of the stats kind of lines up quite nicely because the what's the courage of the is it courage four courage five i can't remember for the chieftain for the chieftain yeah i reckon she's five but it might be four i think it's five and then she's got two will as well so in terms of making the terror check charges into your beasties yeah she's probably the best chance that you've got yeah he did have the spectres who were courage six Oh, yeah, um, true. But again, true. if he commits a spectre to a charge, like, and I'm able to like kill them, that's that's fine for me because they're like his one, one like sure thing for a courage check. Yeah, and they're also the one thing that goes pretty hard into you in terms of blades of the dead wounding on fours. I believe it? it's fours because yeah. I believe the the great beast is courage two and they're strength three, so yeah, force to wound, which um. Nasty. Which comes up. So that turn, the beast, the chieftain survives. Jacob absolutely weighted one of the beasts. And I, I believe he had priority, so he got to split it the way he wanted. Um, there there was a discussion like afterwards that maybe he could have called, a, like literally as soon as the beast he died, he maybe could have called heroic combat here. Because he had, um, which sounds crazy, because he had the great beast. I believe it was two spectres, golfimble with, I believe he still had a mite left, so... Okay. Kind of wounding Could on have. fives in yeah. a way. And like two or maybe three spear supporting orcs. So he had like... He had five attacks that wound on like fours and fives. Mm. Another two attacks that wound on like mitable fives, as it were. And then like another bunch on six. And I think I had... I did have the four, four, four wounds. 
Um, but as it turned out, like he made that, like it was a piece of cake. He just sliced through it. Yeah, right. Um, so there was that discussion of, oh, maybe he should have heroic combated there. Psychologically and- though, heroic combating off a great piece. <laughs> you kind of got to have stones. <laughs> oh yeah. It, like it, it might have looked cocky at the time, but if he did it, I'd just be like, fuck, all right. And uh, <laughs> it turns out he absolutely minced her. The, yeah. the, poor, the poor beast, he got torn to shreds. Um, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, and so the turn after, I think I did another heroic move off and the, the Wawak Chieftain, as we, as we sort of said in the interview, was survived on one wound, no fate. Mm. And... I managed to just trample through her, kill another bunch of orcs. And the the great beastie that died had four orcs survive and the captain. Um, so they actually ended up holding quite well. So the captain like 1v1 gold pimble for a couple turns and the yeah. archers just sort of ran away and to the sides and stuff. And at that point, Jacob was like essentially broken, I believe. And I still had the, the beastie and like four men on the ground. And... Um, yeah, it just sort of went from there. The first turn of Jacob's courage, he had, I believe it was like maybe eight models, including golfing bull. Failed. 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 One wag, one lone wag passed his courage check. And Jacob moved first. So he ran that wag away. <laughs> he ran that wag all the way through this like ruined building. And there uh, was a 0% that I was going to catch that uh, wag. Yeah. Uh. Handy to have 10 inches of movement in that situation. Did well. Um, and as as we sort of had described to us, I ran my beastie, claimed the first objective, yeah. game kept going, claimed the second, game kept going. All the while, this Courage 2 Wag is absolutely chatting it in the corner. Did you have any other... Um, did you have any other orcs on the ground? Or... Yeah, had I had... killed at that point? Like, were they able to try and go and grab objectives as well? Or were they too far out of position? They were close enough, and I realized, like, like an hour after that game, sort of, maybe not an hour, like 20, 20, 30 minutes after the game, maybe I could have played it slightly different. Um, so I, my helmet captain had died, the captain who was on the beastie. Yeah. I had, like, three orc archers yeah. on the ground. There's a, a potential that I ran, because I ran the great beastie to the leftmost objective, then inwards, inwards, inwards. Mm. There was a chance that maybe I was supposed to let the orcs on the wing grab that and run the beastie. Yeah, get the beastie straight towards going, the middle. It's got the eight inches, so it might have been able to go that little bit further. Yeah, um, but the I think the trick was with random game length. You don't know if the game's yeah, going to keep going. Yeah. So I think I uh, maybe maybe should have gone straight to the middle, but I think I don't get that one that turn anyway. So it's right. like I want something this turn in the bank, yeah. so that I'm not. You know, twelve zip or whatever. Yep. So I ran that way, and uh, yeah, and and across. But but you're right. There was there was those two archers who potentially could have grabbed that leftmost. Um, but and as you heard, the game sort of kept going just long enough that I didn't make it. Yeah. And uh, Jacob's wag held just long enough that we didn't get the table. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, credit to Jacob. He played exactly as it should. And if I was to get the win from that point onwards, I don't think I would have deserved it because I do think Jacob sort of deserved that win mm. and played it exactly right. And it would have been another case of like, you know, the me beat Kylie scenario where it just kept going and going mm. and going and going and going. And it just no longer was the game that it, you know, no, no longer represented the game that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so yeah, really cool game. And obviously, um, love playing Jacob, and you'll you'll see me on his channel all the time, the Conquest Creation YouTube channel. Check it out. Yeah, definitely go and check it out. It's fantastic. All right, uh, let's get into final round. All right, g'day guys. Jordy here at the end of round four, and uh, we played a two v two, which was nice and interesting. Um, I got to verse Jacob again. Yep. And I'm here with my other opponent, Chris. Hello. And my teammate, Rain. There you go. All right, good stuff. So we've already talked about Jacob's armies, and you guys already know mine. Um, Chris, what were you rocking? Uh, so I was rocking uh, Minas Tirith today. Uh, pretty standard sort of list. I had Faramir as my leader, uh, and Deneth, uh, Uralas as yeah, my... Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uralas <laughs> as my other, other hero. Um, yeah, so was... And yeah, so your list was pretty cool, and it looked really nice. You painted the cloaks and shit really well. So you had Irulas, a bunch of citadels, and a bunch of rangers and stuff? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, I tried to macro out, macro out as many many guys as I could. Um, just, uh, just yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I was working hard on the bases, and I'd, I'd recently got a 3D printer. Um, and so I, I used that to do all the bases on them, which I found it was actually it worked out really, really well. Um, it was a lot better than I was sort of hoping. Yeah, sick. I did notice your like white marble bases, like top notch that's the proper Minas Tirith look yeah yes because I was trying to work out whether I wanted to go for a full ruin sort of look um, like an Osgiliath style or if I wanted to get a proper nice marble city of Minas Tirith yeah yeah and I'm actually pretty happy I sort of found a nice medium it looks yeah. sort of like it could fit in both a ruined city and a more sort of up to date city yeah 100% yeah, yeah they looked pretty sick and Rain what did you yeah. bring today so I brought Azog's Legion um, Bolg 8 Berserkers and yeah, pretty much Bolg's re reinforcements from Gundabad I went for. Yeah, no, it's pretty sick and like it's fast moving and you've got some cool cool weapons in there. Did you do anything like with the colours or...? Well, what I went for was really just, I copied, I hate to say it, but I copied Jade Claire's um, instructions off the Warhammer community page online. Hey, that's okay. So, tried and true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I liked what I saw and it, it worked. It, it went on on grouse. So. No, wicked. And yeah, they looked really sweet. Yeah. All right, and sick. With that out of the way, um, so the game we played was in the match play guide. It's one of the two v twos. What was it called? Jewel of Wits. Jewel of Wits. Yeah. So it was Fogavor esque, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you picked your you picked a hero from your opponent's team. If they managed to keep that hero within six inches of the board, of the center of the board, they got two points. But if you killed that hero that you had chosen, you got two points. Right. Yeah. 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 So it was, it, was, it was a cool idea, and it was sort of this big rush to the center. Um, so, Jacob, do you want to tell me about your opening? Um, yeah, well, with my Angmar, I decided I'd, I'd deploy conservatively and you know, stay safe from the Great Beast, and then Geordie avoided me, so I was a bit upset about that. But <laughs> with, my, uh, with my Fell Light, I dragged one of those Great Beasts out in the open, so my Wag Chieftain and Golfenbull could just get into it and hopefully take it down quickly. Um, but then Rain had, uh, had Bold come in. <laughs> yeah, so... To, you felt like my my great beast. So I was just out in the open, and you got the charge, which you know I played around your chieftain charging me, and I was like, oh dear, here we go. Rain, you jumped in. Yeah, and everything was going well. Got Bolg into Golfimble, as I would. He was my target. So Off a nice heroic yeah, combat. We needed to get in there, um, and yeah, so won the combat, which was good. Mm -hmm. Managed to inflict three wounds onto Golfimble. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> Sounds good, right? <laughs> Only two, having uh, to reject all three wounds from bloody impressive girth. <laughs> it was impressive girth. <laughs> Golfimble with the greatest girth in Middle Earth. Oh, um, my God. 
And all the while, me and you, Chris, we were duking it out on one on the other side. Yeah, yeah. Um, I managed to sort of trap a great beast. So I thought I was sort of doing a good job, and then I realised, well, actually, no. Jacob over the other side of the board is basically two v oneing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and I was sort of a bit worried, but everything seemed to be going our way. <laughs> yeah, rain, rain just did, didn't seem to roll higher than a four all yeah. game. And um, in the end, I did my part, I suppose. Yeah, so bearing the lead, uh, look, rain didn't do so well. Jacob no. did pretty well. I, so I, we were, yeah, like you said, I, I was distracting you on one side with the, the Great Beast. All the while, the plan was for me and Rain to, to double-team Jacob. and uh, But my impressive girth held out. <laughs> and, held. and after that, Bog was embarrassed and couldn't roll more than a four the whole yep. game. Yep, Lost we, his wog to yep. a couple orcs and then failed to wound the wag chieftain with a horde of friends. And his berserkers just followed suit and just crumbled. I think it was the largest luck discrepancy I've ever experienced. Yeah, look, every time I looked over, I was like, wait, did that guy lose? Wait, did that guy lose? Wait, Bog lost? <laughs> yeah. Um, but during the mid-game, you did something cool with your chieftain. Mm, I actually used heroic strength. Heroic strength for like the first time ever in a recorded history. And it was it was good. I yeah, got so plus one to wound with three attacks, which was worth it. Um, and that led me to the Wild Chieftain killing another great beast. Yeah, you dealt three wounds in the one go, which was pretty sick. Yeah. And it, like, it had three left and you strength it. I think you had to might a follow-up, but yeah. still, like, I think good use of might. Oh, absolutely. So the Wild Chieftain, I was saying this earlier, has um, a rule where it's heroics only affect other wags, which is initially a bad thing. But it kind of made me commit to just... I have these two might, there's only two other wags left. I may as well just blow it. And if I hadn't, the Great Beast was still going to be alive. It was so, still alive. And yeah, good thing I blew it. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I guess with that all out of the way, it was a pretty sick game. Like, I think... It was a fun game. As far as 2v2 yeah. maps, I reckon that was actually pretty good. It was good, yeah, I agree. I have, I have strong feelings on them, but I think that one was actually quite good. Mm. Uh, I think our board was good too, playing in the... What was it? An Os Osgiliath Bruin, pretty mm. much. Yeah. It was a real tight city, lots of terrain. Lots um, of choke points. Yeah. Mm. So. And uh, played out pretty well. Ended up a 10-0 to the Gondor and Shireling invading alliance. Yep. Sick. <laughs> Get that girth. Um, thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Rain. Good Enjoy game. Thanks, Chris. Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay, so round four, double trouble. Uh, this is interesting. So, I actually, before we get into this... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question for the uh, event as a whole. Were the scenarios predetermined? As far as I'm aware, funny you ask this, yes. I believe I believe David had them all written down in his 20-page player pack for, <laughs> all, for all to see. But uh, look, uh, I think this is pretty common in the community where we'll read points, date, yeah. and we yeah. stop there. Yeah, yeah. Just the essentials. Just the essentials. <laughs> okay, so the scenario was... What was the scenario? Uh, oh, it was called, it was like Battle of Wits, I believe it was called. Yes, okay. Um, it was cool because you secretly picked your opponent's key model. And by like opponent's key model, I mean, they need to score with it. Um, and of course it was the model you picked was also sort of your assassination target as well. Sure. So you're incentivized to keep that... They're all like essentially all your heroes, but particularly the one that's chosen in six inches of the, the, the center. So it's kind of like you've got to hold ground with your heroes and any troops are expendable. Like only the heroes matter. So just to clarify, 
right? Yeah. Your score, so your your scoring model, you're not sure which one it is. Yes, correct. So you're just trying to get all your heroes in the center. Yeah. Yep. And just have a mash, monster mash in the middle. In this case, a great beast mash. A great beast mash. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. And I think at a higher point, that would become really interesting. Mm. Of course, you can't go two higher points in a 2v2, so. No. But like, if this was like a 1v1 scenario, that would be a really cool idea where you just go pick one of your opponent's models. They don't know which one it is, but they've got to try and keep one of them in the middle and you go from there. That's re- that's a really interesting point. Like I I haven't looked too much at the double scenarios. Yeah, yeah. But I would... Like, it'd be interesting to see how adaptable they could be and, yeah. and what that could actually bring to a single player. And, like, yeah. whether they do translate well. Like, yeah. I think this one does, but there's probably a couple that just don't. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay, so, um, we've established the yeah. scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, who was... So, you had Bolg and a bunch <laughs> of Berserkers on your team. That's right. I had Rain with Bolg and I think it was eight uh, Berserker boys. So, all in all, the number of bases that you had yep. were not too many. Ten bases, baby. And, Let's and, go. <laughs> and you, had, you had Jacob, who you just faced up in the previous yes. round. Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, and we established that he had a pretty good list. It was, that could, it was could good numbers, in. and he's got the spectres, and the, look, the spectres did pretty well here. And then an unlikely uh, ally in a Minas Tirith list. Yes, I mean, everyone knows uh, Faramir allied heavily with uh, Golkin Ball. <laughs> it's, it's known he joined the raid of the Shire. That's right. <laughs> Sacking of the Shire. <laughs> I wouldn't put it down to Faramir. I'd say Irulus was the oh, guy yeah, who led yeah, it astray, yeah. right? He just sort of like tricked him. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He, he you know, sent the wrong the wrong mail to the wrong person and That's suddenly right. you're in the Shire killing hobbits. My Lord Denethor, foresee this coming! <laughs> the sacking of the Shire! Foreseen and did nothing! nothing. <laughs> um, um, uh, so... Uh, talk us through in terms of kind of the opening engagement, like how things started to kind of unfold. Yeah, so um, I believe our, our opponents went first, which I was I was totally fine with, because um, my great beastie and Jacob's um, wild wild chieftain were kind of on the the opposite sides of the same building, mm. but he couldn't see me, so it was like sort of okay because he deployed like right against it. So I was like, oh, this is great. Um, and then, um, on the other, cause you deploy like opposite corners to your ally. Sure. Um, on the other side, there was just a bunch of Gondor and the Chris's Gondor was just sort of clumped together. And so turn one, Jacob fell lights, my fell, uh, great beast that was close to him. Mm. And, uh, look, the courage of my captains was actually like impeccable for Rampage. I reckon I failed one on the day and I reckon I took maybe... Nine to ten rampages, mm. but there fell like courage. Oh, it was abysmal. <laughs> I think I think Jacob in in the course of both games, fell lit me six times, wow. and I think I failed three of them. Yeah, okay. Um, so failed the fell light. So Jacob did get that turn one charge with the wild wild chieftain, and he got Golfimble in as well because Golfimble's courage was absolute chad worthy. And then on the other side, the Gondor just sort of moved up, and I got a beastie charge, and I think I failed to wound or something like that. But my whole intention with that great beast that was on the Gondor side, completely, I was there for a distraction. Sure. I wanted to slow Chris down and have Chris spend three to four turns churning through this great beast, Mm. all the while, in theory, 
me and Rain are just chomping Jacob, yeah. getting him to break point. Because I think Jacob had more numbers by like a little bit, but you know, even if he didn't, you know, just enough that we can get him to that point. And I think me and Rain, because you weren't allowed to communicate who you picked with your teammate, but I still think me and Rain had the same idea of, look, Jacob's guys are a bit squishier. Let's pick one of Jacob's. Yeah. So without communicating that idea, we both just sort of went at Jacob. Yeah. Um, who did you pick for Jacob's hero? I picked the Wild Wild Chieftain because okay. I wanted to kill that model anyway. Sure. And um, Yeah, it makes sense. Bolg can kill that without... Yeah. <laughs> Again, you heard in the, the conversation, maybe maybe with a little bit of trouble, but in theory, Bolg can kill that without trouble, whereas Bolg versus Golfing Bull, Golfing Bull technically has strike and technically has the five-up uh, ward save, essentially. Sure. Um, Which came into it. Well, so, yeah, the opening move was really cool. Jacob just sort of put a wag in range of Bolg, but he had a wag behind it. So you're like, oh, he's, he's shepherded for the heroic combat, but uh, look, my archers can still shoot. We mm. shot six bows of that wag, and that wag died. Interesting. That opened up the heroic combat into Golfing Bull. Yeah. Golfing Bull calls the counter-strike, you know, gets bogged. Rain wins the first combat, charges in. Uh, Jacob rolls the five for the strike. So Jacob is now... Or maybe it was the four, because he was tied with Bolg. So I'm not mm. sure what Golfing Bull starts at. Three? So he must have rolled the four. Tied with Bolg. You know, little old Golfing Bull, 1v1-ing, the biggest... Well, second biggest baddie in The Hobbit. Um, Jacob rolls a six. Rain rolls a five. This is this is kind of the... This really, like, essentially contextualises the entire game. Yeah. When, when Rain rolls a four, the opponents would roll a five. Yeah. When Rain rolls a three, the opponents would just roll a four. Yeah. Like, every single combat... Pipped at the post. Rain just missed. And yeah. it was never, like... It was never, you know... Oh, Rain rolled triple... Though I do think he rolled triple ones at one point. It was never like, oh, triple ones, what can you do? Yeah. It was always like, I rolled a four, all right, whatever, that's fine. And then they just got five. Um, so... Don't even worry about it. Bolg spends the extra point of might um, to get the equal dice roll. Yeah. Bolg did win the fight. And this, oh, is where, this is where you hear the moment of uh, three wounds. You know, he needed three three-ups and made it. All right, that's pretty good. Any captain would have just been dead at that point. Yeah. But not Golfimble. No. Golfimble has zero fate, but he has this impressive girth, which is an innate five up for every wound taken. Jacob throws down a five, a five, and a six. Zero wounds. Not just, not just like, you know, one wound. No, no. Zero wounds. Um, and then, due to his sheer embarrassment, Bog gets charged the next turn and loses a combat against like three orcs or something Ouch. like that. You're just like, bold, Ouch. mate. What um, are you doing? And this, this, um, this game was kind of unlucky because Bolg has that master of battle. Our opponents, I think, got the next like two to three priorities. Yeah. So we couldn't take Didn't. advantage yeah. of that, you know. So every turn, like what me or Bolg had to call a heroic move. Mm. Whereas if our opponents, sorry, if we won the, the priority... You know, Goldfinger would have had to call the heroic move and Bolg could have just freebied it. Mm. So, we didn't get that free might gain. But, you know, in, in saying that, it was still... And and they also, I think, won all the roll-offs too. But that's okay. Mm. It's just sort of one of those things happens. And then all the while on the Gondor side, I think Faramir got one charge with his lance. 
um, did like one wound. Like he had like four guys in combat, did a single wound. And I was like, that's fine. I won the next one and I knocked Faramir off his, off his little horsey. Um, which, you know, as we, for those who don't know, essentially, if you don't roll the six on the throne rider chart, you can't strike blows that combat. So he left Faramir and he rolled like a two or three or whatever, you know. So Faramir was out for that combat. He can still apply his fight value and roll to win the duel. Mm. But it just sort of meant, you know, two less dice going to the great beast and two less mightable dice as well. Yeah, that's big. So the beastie just held up for another two, three turns. All the while, Irulas was doing a little rap maneuver on the beastie. There was just sort of a big building in the way. You know, two to three turns later, he made it and he's got bodyguard, of course, because, you know, he's a brave boy. Yeah. Um, so he charged in the rear and at this point, yeah, my distraction great beast had, <laughs> I think, literally 300 points worth of yeah. Gondor tagging him and... I think the first turn he actually rolled like 12 dice and failed to wound. Wow. Which I was like, all right, great. Um, the next turn, I believe he threw like 15 dice and got the kill. But, you know, that great beast, you know, that 150 points tied up. Did his job. 300 points for about four turns. Um, but unfortunately, Rain, again, it's absolutely not his fault, you know. He had... Um, <laughs> The, the next turn we managed to, you know, maneuver some good stuff. He had killed my great beast with his, her, Jacob had killed it with like the heroic strength thing, Wild Wild Chieftain, yeah. bumped it up to strength seven, which is wounding on fours. And I think he rolled like a four, five and a three and he mighted the three. And yeah, it makes sense. Like the great beastie soloed the beast, uh, the, the great, the Wild Wild Chieftain soloed the great beastie, which was just sick. Like as far as theme goes, you just like. She's just like going for the jugular yeah. or something. Cheetah she... on the prairie. Just exactly. Taking down the big rhino. Oh, oh so like, good. It's so good. You love the theme of that. You just Absolutely. go, if, if something's going to take down a rhino, it's, it's going to be. It's going to be that. Oh, like, just. Yeah, no, 100%. I love it. And and it kind of, you know, it, it plays into the underlying narrative of the Two Towers podcast that you should always, when in doubt, just take a wild like chieftain. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely 300 points really good model um yeah so the turn after with the great beasties huge ass base gone um yeah there was a lot of room and yeah. we won this roll off um to move first um so you know i just sort of made way for bulg and tagged around the chieftain with my like three archers that survived and my captain survived again of course so here we go here's our here's our shot bulg and two berserkers Charge the Wild Wild Chieftain. Yeah. Wild Wild Chieftain's got no might. Okay. I reckon Bulg had one at this point, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, all right. That's, that's... Bulg's got the fight, right? Bulg's got fight seven. So... Chief, Chieftain can't strike even if she had might. See you later. We got can't me. strike because she doesn't have strike. <laughs> we've got better. We've got seven dice to three. Yep. She did have a banner, so let's say seven dice to four. Okay, okay. And you go, oh, this is, this is in the bag. Yep. Seven dice, you're going to roll a six, surely. I think he rolled a four high. I think Rain rolled a four high and the BC, the, the Wild Wild Chieftain, sorry. I think I think just naddied the five or naddied the six. Like didn't even, not even phased. Um, and she chewed up, I'm pretty sure she chewed up a, a berserker or two. But you go, that was the moment. Yeah. You know, Bulg's wounding this, yeah. this Wild Wild Chieftain on threes. Yeah. And, <sighs> and that is like, once that moment is gone, like the... It, in my mind, it sounds like Jacob still has the numbers that yep. he can isolate yep. the pieces enough and just pick them off one by one. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and not only that, it was like in order to get that opportunity, you know, I threw away my three orc archers yeah. and sacrificial you know, lambs. 
um, Rain threw away a berserker just yeah. to tag, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, everything yeah. that was there yeah, yeah, just so we'd get yeah, the yeah, cheap. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was not meant to be. Uh, Rain's dice just betrayed him. Decided, no, you guys don't get to win this game, and and that's okay. That happens. Um, but like, obviously, it was still good fun. Um, <laughs> me and Jacob obviously play heaps, have a great time. Me and Rain have played a couple times, and it's always good fun. And me and Chris have. Uh, our only games have been multiplayer games. So is that right? In the in the last tournament we went to, which is one of Jacobs, there was a single round where you played a three player game. Yeah, and we had an absolute blast. Me, Jim Keller, and Chris. Yeah, fantastic. That it was great. <laughs> it was the best game I, I've ever played. Like as far as like fun, like it was wow. just off the chops. And now me and Chris are playing again in another multiplayer and we're just having a blast. Um, yeah, so. It's very great. It's, it was, it's kind of a cool way to end the day. Like I was kind of reflecting on the so the last twenty eight that uh, I went to. So for episode of this one to have a really enjoyable last round, yeah, I think makes a massive difference yeah. to the overall enjoyment of a tournament day because it like you you're not like you're not trying to run at a hundred and ten percent in terms of yeah like yeah. tactical um, blow by blow figuring out what to do you're just actually really enjoying the moment yeah, of right like being... like your tank's already half empty so if you still need to do the sprint it's not in you but if you've got to just muck about you can you can make that work absolutely yeah and then uh, and the the 2v2s i think the last um the last minimize i attended which was 2019 the 2v2 scenario was really Kind of, kind of no good. Like you and your you and your ally, in fact, started on opposite ends in opposite corners, right? And you had to like run to the middle of each other, and right. any list that can move faster just disrupts that. So yeah. suddenly it's not a two v two; it's a you know, it's a two v one into a two v one. Yeah. But this one, the deployment was much better because you could deploy anywhere in your table quarter not inside that six inch bubble oh okay so in theory and and in fact what happened me and rain our models were side by side turn one yeah yeah that is such a big difference because like that's the point of a 2v2 is for me and my ally to be able to contribute our models together yeah um so and choose how that happens as opposed to it being decided by who who's brought cab by who's faster um yeah, so cool. really cool. Um, so I, I, after cause after my first two v two game, I was like, I hate all these two v two scenarios. I'm not going to look at them. Had you I, had I, you played any other two v twos prior to that? Nope. I, I played one other in between. Yeah. At one of Jacob's tournaments, and that also was shit. <laughs> <laughs> the deployment was you could start next to one of the enemies, but your you couldn't start next to the other, and you couldn't start near your ally. So. Mm-hmm. The way that game went was me and, you know, one it's of my opponents were... two separate one-on-ones. Yeah, yeah. And then, again, it was... If one of the reinforcements were quicker, it was a 2v1 again. Yeah. Um, so, after those two games, I was like, nah, get out of here. But I'm going to go through now and have a look and go, which ones are actually genuinely playable? Because that one, really good. I think good design and, like, the fact that we could be with, you know, our teammates, but still separated a little bit, I think... Really, really good. Really fun. Awesome. Okay. Um, is there anything else uh, in that? Like, it, it sounded like it was a lot of fun. Like, it, it sounded like it was a really yes. good way to, to end the tournament. So, shall we wrap up there and get into uh, the awards? The awards. Let's go. Tonight, we remember those who gave their blood 
to defend this country. Hail the victorious dead! You've just heard the rapturous applause of, <laughs> of the the winners being announced. Yes, uh, and and look, were there technical difficulties on the day that prevented me from recording the full thing? Maybe. <laughs> Was I scrambling through my bag as the as the official recording phone died? And I was trying to get my phone out. Yes. Some would say that's exactly what happened <laughs> on the day. Um, look, it wouldn't be a Two Towers podcast if there weren't some form of catastrophic audio failure. That's exactly um, right. That's the kind that's of standard... That's our promise to you. <laughs> ...that we live by here. Um, so, in in absence of uh, the, the recorded audio, um, let's, let's do our best to do a, a live reenactment um, in terms of the the podium, who, so who who came in uh, in third? Yes, so uh, everyone, please pretend I'm David Leonard. Uh, uh, yes, and uh, third place, Jacob Lucas. And in second place, we have Ben Mapleback. And in first place, Joshua Coleman. Wow, fantastic. Uh, that's such a, a, a deserving podium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, I played Jacob a couple of times. He, he actually went like one loss into, I believe, a draw and then into a couple wins. So, like, the, the the top sort of from second to, like, fifth was really hotly contested. Like, there was a bunch of people on a couple wins and a couple draws and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. So, Joshua Coleman himself, I believe, was undefeated. So, outside of him was a tight spot for, for maybe second, third place. So, before we get to Josh, uh, Ben, Ben Mapleback, what, what was he running? Yeah, so he had, it was a cool list, and I do wish I faced it, because I think it would have done pretty well. He had one Mahood King, and I believe it was 11 camels. Ooh, okay. I'm going to assume he's decked them all out in blowpipes, because that's what you got to do. Yeah. Um, so hey, he, were, they, were they the official models, or were they 3D prints? No, they were 3D prints. Because um, mm. um, the official models are hen's teeth, rare as. Well, look, I've got a lot of them. Do I have 30 official Mahoods? I on thought you were going to say, do you have hen's teeth? Because, <laughs> do, yes. Do I have hen's 30. teeth? I sure do. <laughs> um, yeah, the official models are very hard to get mm. a hold of. And so, look, if, if people resort to second, to like printing, I think for models like that, it's totally acceptable. And yeah, he, he had printed out a bunch of boys and look, they look pretty good. Awesome. So he obviously did really well. Came in yes. second. Yes. Um, why, from your perspective, uh, do you think that that was? Like, what does his list bring at that 300 points that, that does so well? Yeah, so I think there's... The, the important thing that, that to note that he's lacking is might, right? Yeah. He's an all-mounted army, and as, as far as I'm aware, I may have got the list wrong, but I think he just had the one hero with two might, mm. which would be crippling. But I think he's come in with a cool idea and sort of a, a similar idea to me, 
which is let's just kill models in the movement phase. Mm. Why bother fight at all? Mm. Um, so he's got, yeah, I, again, I, we could be wrong here, but I think he's got 12 models with Impaler. Mm. And if you're killing at 300 points, two to three models in a movement phase, that's, you know, two to three out of 20. Suddenly the list is just a lot smaller. And you mm. do that once or twice... And Impaler works against heroes as well. And what's the big sort of what's the big key factor in a three hundred point game is like the mounted heroes. So if you can just send a random dude in, impale Aragorn's horse, you know, essentially transfix him for a turn while you mop up the rest of the battlefield. Because sorry, does Impaler do you do impact hits for mount and yes rider yep, up and down? Yeah, so that's super efficient. Um, and I did see one game um, where Ben was playing against Helm Hammerhand oh, of Helm's Legion fame. Yeah. He sent an Impaler into Helm Hammerhand. Yeah. Helm spent his fate on the horse. All right, all right. He's, he's the horse lord. He can do that. He sent another Impaler in, took out the horse. Yeah. You've got Helm Hammerhand, 165 points yeah. of the 300. Yeah. Transfixed for a full turn. Off your horse. So now your kill potential just... Not drops in half because Helm's a big boy. He's burly and mm. three attack, strength five. He's he's good. He he's got a lot going on. But, you know, you've transfixed that for a full turn. Yeah. And, of course, the, the Rohan guys just absolutely got shredded. I was just sort of watching from the side. So it's, it's good against mounted heroes. And then it's just good against, like, mid to low model count. Um, there were a bunch of horde lists, which maybe... He dodged, or maybe he just got some good impales. But, but yeah, I think the concept of his list definitely had the potential, and he's clearly played it to the effect. Did you see? Did you actually um, have a look at, like, in terms of the paint job? Like we mentioned before, that um, it had been three D printed. Yeah. Um, yep. So obviously, aesthetically, it's going to be slightly different to the official models. Um, what was the? Did he go with kind of a traditional paint scheme for it? Yeah, I kind of actually mainly keyed in on the camels because they were super vibrant yellow, mm. which which um, power to him. Um, so I sort of skipped on the on the market themselves. I think they were, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to risk being wrong here. I I I just keyed in on those camels. There you go. I mean, camels being a large portion of the model itself, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you paint it a really vibrant colour and that's what people are going to notice. Yep, you draw the eye and yeah. And those are the things that are going to do the ouchies. <laughs> so, yes, that's where the spikes are. They've got hazard, like warning signs, right? Yep. Yellow camel incoming. Yep, exactly. Very cool. Okay, so um, covered off uh, number number two. Let's go to the the champion, though. Numero uno, Josh. Joshua Coleman. Mm. So what was he running? So he was running Dark Denizens of Mirkwood. Oh, my favourite. As a <gasps> as a firm arachnid. Uh, arachnophobic. <laughs> I was going to say, you're a spider? <laughs> I never noticed. <laughs> I keep it well hidden <laughs> behind my fear of myself. Yeah. <laughs> now, as a keen arachnophobe, uh, arachnophobe, um, I can't, I, like, I can't play against these kind of lists. Mm. They just psych me out from the get-go. <laughs> no, nothing to do with their profile, nothing to do with the model. Nothing whatsoever. Just, there's spiders. There's spiders on the table. Get that out of here. No, I think, I think, um, and in 2019, Tim um, took a similar list to Podium as well. Right. I think spiders do super well at 300 points because... They all cause terror. 
so his list was a spider queen, I believe three giant spiders, three Merkwoods, and I think he had three wargs just as those like objective tags and stuff. Mm. So they're all, you know, well, sorry, they're not all, but they're all like mainly two attacks and the giant spiders are fight four where the Merkwoods are fight two, but you know, they still have the two attacks and all that sort of stuff. And the spider queen is a beast. Um, I believe she's fight six, um, three attacks with monstrous charge, so the potential for four. Strength seven, as far as I'm aware, but I could be wrong there, with Mega Venom, so she rerolls everything, whereas mm. all the other spies are just rerolling ones. So the two, the, the, the factors that I think absolutely key in at 300 points, the fact that there is terror on every model. Yeah. Right? If a model fails a terror check at 600 points, that's fine. You've got like 40 more models to take place. At 300 points, if one model fails their courage check, you've got 10 others to take their place. And, you know, if four out of 10 fail, suddenly you're fighting at 50% capacity type yeah, thing. Yeah, and they're choosing where the fights take place. Um, and then the other thing that, that I think Josh would have lent into is the fact that his hero sniping powers is just off tap. No, I don't think... Like, maybe apart from Bulg, I don't think any other hero model can hit as hard as that Spider Queen. And she's also got the added utility of the Broodlings. Yes, three summonable Broodlings. Which, for me, is, you know, in certain scenarios, is just absolutely deadly. Yeah, so even though I think he had, like, maybe a 10 model count, he did have the sneaky three bases, and they... He can spawn them during his move phase whenever he wants, as far as I'm aware of the rules. And he can make traps that weren't there. Yep. You know? He can make a 20-inch threat range instead of a 10-inch, or albeit the, the the threat is like a fight one, one attack <laughs> model. But, you know, it's still there. And it's like board control. And it's... Exactly. It's also... It's one of those things, as, as is the case with any model, where you're deciding when that comes into play. It's your opponent having to second guess that yeah, in every move yep. that they make in terms of like, when are these broodlings coming out? How are they going to be used? You know, depending on the scenario, depending on the situation. So um, you're right. An absolute master assassin at 300 points. Like we talked, we've talked a lot in this episode about <laughs> the, the, um, the, the wild bike chieftain, but the, the spider queen definitely points efficiency wise at yep. this level yep. just is at the absolute top. I would say. She's huge. Just re-rolling everything's to wound and being such a high strength, like, you're not failing. If she gets a charge, it's eight attacks, presumably wounding on threes or fours, re-rolling all of them. Like, you're one-shotting Aragorns. And and what's her points cost again? It's not that high, right? It's... I think it might be, like, 150 to 160. Yeah, okay. So, because I was thinking the comparison between her and, like, Helm Hammerhand, yeah. right? Yeah. And like that, that would be an interesting kind of matchup, but it yeah. would be like, you know, just the, the, the fact that you've got, like you, you, you pointed out before the, the broodlings, which can pop out and completely change the dynamic. Yep. Um, yep. Were they to go toe to toe, I'm sure Josh would just like pop a broodling at Helm and run away. Or when he gets the shot, just dive that spider into Helm, one shot it. Whereas Helm would take two to three turns instead of the, the one crack. 
And do you think the um, the paralyze on the other spiders come into it as well in terms of being able to neutralize, you know, tag teaming that with the, the spider queen? Yeah, I, I'm told, because I talked to Josh a couple times throughout the day, I am told the, the paralyze did some work. Yeah. Like, I think, I think he roped a couple heroes, and the moment you drop, like, an 80-point hero, you know, again, like, even 80-point hero at a 300-point level for two to three turns of paralyze, like, you're fighting up so like so many points yeah um it's a full third basically that the army's yeah, yeah. lost right? um and look even if you just get a regular chaff ladder then charge him and kill him like it's still mm-hmm. still a-okay um yeah. so yeah i'm told the 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 Merkwoods with their little slingshot did pretty well i mean we should probably point out the fact that there is one glaring kind of downfall for the spider queen yes yeah so Zero fate, and she's defense four. Mm. As far as defensive stats for a hundred and fifty point yeah, hero, yeah. stands on a knife's edge. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I guess I guess, and uh, this is where like player skill comes in, and of course Joshua Coleman is is one of the top tiers. Mitigating that need for the defense just by throwing her at full offense and never putting her in a rough spot or like it. Yeah. Giving your opponents the opportunity to, to kill her because, all things considered, three orcs with a trap against the spider queen would probably one shot her. Mm. Like, mm. not that that's an easy scenario to drum up, but like it's not a hard one either. If if uh, if, if I'm in control, <laughs> it'd probably happen pretty quickly. <laughs> Turn one. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> we deployed twenty inches apart. What happened? <laughs> No, but credit credit to to Josh. Obviously, it takes a lot of skill to to pilot that kind of um, hard hitting glass cannon yeah, fragile yeah. list. Um, so uh, well done to Josh. Not well done and well earned. Well, uh, on that note, I think we should probably hear from the fearless tournament organizer himself, David Leonard. Yes, uh, let's go. Alright, g'day guys. So the tournament's all gone and done. Uh, just Jordy here with the TO, David. Oh, greetings all. So Minimize is actually one of my favourite events to go to because you have such a heavy emphasis on like theme and shit like that. Do you want to like elaborate on what you're here, well, like what Minimize is all about? Oh, thank, thank you first up. Um, yeah, Minimize comes down to... I got handed the, the reins of Minimize probably six years ago now, and I decided I'd run the tournament that I wanted to go to. Yeah, so yeah. I packed it full of theme. Um, I packed it full of random bonus points that you can do the most bizarre stuff and get points for. Um, and after about three years, I was down to about six players, and I decided oh, instead of running the tournament I wanted to go to, I should run the tournament other people wanted to go to. Uh, so I tweaked everything, and it's all the crazy stuff I wanted is still there, but it's sort of hidden in the background. So you can play your games if you want, if you want to sink your teeth into the craziness, okay, yeah. it's there. Yep. Yeah, so touching on that, like you had a few out there like awards, like quite literally, like for example, the, the Maestro and what yes. else was there? Things like that? Um, so the Maestro is for the person who writes the best song to get inspired with their army. So last year we had Corsairs singing about drinking. Um, this year we had Great Beasts lamenting, you know, the, the long march from home. Um Again, it's just to encourage people to do different and crazy things and to get involved with all aspects of their hobby, but it's only a, a bonus point yeah, in the back, so yeah. 
a lot of people don't want to sing, they don't have to. Yeah, uh, it's entirely no, optional. I think it's really cool to just put that out there and say, hey, yeah. here's this. Do it if you want. Don't do it if you don't yeah. want. So the way I set that up is there's a pile of ways to get bonus points, but it's capped. So after you've done two of them, oh, you're not cool. getting extra bonus gotcha. points. There's still extra certificates and minor prizes you can pick up um, for doing all those things. Uh, there's a prize for doing the most, but it, after two, it doesn't affect your in-tournament score. There so, you go. So I, I, to be honest, I had no idea there was an in-game score effect at all. Yes. No. Um, basically, that's that's why my players packs like eight to ten pages, where everyone else fits it on one page, because <laughs> this is all written down. So if anyone challenges me on it later, it's there. But on the day, it doesn't really matter. It's just it's just there in case. Brilliant. So you're nice and organised. So we'll get onto that too. How did today like run like flow wise and all that? Um. Yeah, uh, the games all went pretty well. I, I haven't had 20 pe 28, oh no, 26 people at an event for a very long time, so I, I miscalculated how long it takes to process everyone's stuff. But on the whole, it went pretty well. We finished within 10, 15 minutes when we were aiming to, so I took that up as a win. Hell yeah, and on that note, actually, this was a sick turnout. Were you expecting this many coming in? No, so... Uh, we had to move the date twice. Yeah, um, yeah. And the first couple times, we were looking at around 20, and a few people had told me they definitely couldn't make the new date. Uh, and then in the last week and a half, just a whole flood of people said, hey, I started playing this game in the last month. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, is there any way I could come? And I'm like, I think we can fit an extra table <laughs> in here somewhere. Sick. Um, oh, that's terrific to hear. And so, as well as, like, winning... Yes. There's an extra little prize for winning Minimize, right? Yes, so we have the ancient flag of Minimize. Um, it's it's large, it's blue, it um, flies in the wind. Uh, and if you podium, your name goes up on the flag. Uh, this was actually the 13th annual Minimize. Um, it's the longest consecutively running annual Lord of the Rings tournament in the known world. Oh, well done, because um, everyone failed last year, yeah? No, oh, yes and no. Like, I've never actually found one that's gone longer. There's probably out there, but if yep. they are, I don't know about them. So it's, you know, in the known world. All right, reach out if you've done 14. Um, yeah. yeah, so, and it's really cool because, uh, look, my name's on the podium once, so that was pretty good. Um, but it's really cool to just, first of all, strive for it, but then have it hanging in the background and suss out all the names along the yeah. way. Um, that, that is the main, the main thing we use it for. I, I bring it... And it kills dead time, because you've got some time to kill waiting for your next game. You just sort of wander over and you find that, yeah, yeah, I was there. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of times people wander over and go, oh, remember, what's his name? I haven't seen him in years. Yeah, remember true. that list he took? So it's just nice to have in the back background somewhere. Yeah, and on, on, on like lists, what was your sort of favourite list today? Like maybe model-wise, then theme-wise, that sort of stuff. Okay, so I have just recently finished painting one of my Gorgoroth Beasts. Oh, yeah. So I I look at the stats and I go, I would love to have two or three of these, but it was just such a pain to put together. I'm like, I'll let someone else run that list, and you've done it. So that, that <laughs> Got didn't covered. to see. Yep. Um, uh, aside from that, Wolves of Isengard was fun because everyone's talking about that um, at low points and I think 300's the place to try it I reckon Chaku would do well at 300 yeah, yeah. Um, and as far as like hobby and painting wise did any stand out to you? Um, I did like Josh's take on the spiders um, they were a sick colour they yeah. were some nice uh, done a pretty cool display board um, it was just good solid paint job and it, it popped nicely yeah they so their colour was they, they were sort of this like offish brown but they had this like red undertone I, I'm, 
I'm not sure how to describe it. I paint everything with an overbrush and a wash. Yeah. So it, it looked good. Is about <laughs> yep. the level of my understanding. Yeah, we could. I'd, I'd have to agree. Josh was, uh, as far as like voting wise, I reckon he was my number two. I think. Um, sick. Well, thanks for the chat, David, and thanks for the tournament. No, thank you. Um, come back next year. Um, minimize fourteen. And so you've just heard from David Leonard. Uh, good day, all told. That's how it sounds. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it sounded like um, it's really great and lovely to hear from David because he he does um, have a pretty uh, unique take on, yeah, on yeah. what he puts into the tournaments, um, which is great because it adds so much variety to um, to the tournament experience itself. No, I think, I think it's super appreciated and he gets very into what he's designing and I think it shows through first of all and I think it's you know, for the community, that's like, that's one of the things that you look for. And, and we have that in David. So it's, it's really cool that he runs two tourneys a year. Yeah, it's, it's awesome because it's not just about the competitive play. No. Yeah. Like, that's, it's such a well-rounded tournament day in terms of what you can actually get out from it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and what you expect going into it too, yeah. So, David mentioned that there is a whole raft of um, extra awards that yep. are up for grabs. Yep. Um, talk through for the lovely listeners just what all of those different awards are and what they entail. All right. So there's there's a <laughs> there is a few. So I mean, there's the master of theme, nice and easy. There's yep. the best themed army. Great. Yep. And and in fact, I should I guess I should extrapolate. When I say best theme, it is written up and printed out, and you hand it to David, he has a read and he goes through it. So it's not just look at the models on the table and assume the theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. You write your theme. Tell me the story. Um, there's the most audacious fellow. Okay. Which is just the sort of the player favorite as, as far as voting goes. There's the jewel beyond price. The best single painted miniature, which I believe was won by this absolutely gorgeous Azog. Ooh. With NMM, but it, it was it was that sort of like faded up, but then like the opposite um, sort of angled metal would fade the other way. Mm. Oh, it looked, it was impeccable. Like it was so clean. Yeah. The yeah. colors were like a little dull, not in a bad way, like that, you know, if I'm trying to describe it, but it was just so clean. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. So very, very well uh, deserved there. There was the Lawmaster. And so was this, this was the, the, the questions that uh, David had at the end of each round. Is that how it worked? Exactly. So when you went to submit your scores, you also sussed out the lawmaster question and tried to answer them. So for example, the one that I can think of off the top of my head with is how many toes does an ent have? Oh, okay. Yeah, the uh, oh. answers was three, five, seven, and nine. Do you know the answer? I do. Okay. I'm going to say... It's, and I think this is incorrect, but I'm going to say it's either seven or nine, and I'm going to go with nine. Oh, you're so close. It is seven. Damn it. Damn it. Um, uh. And as far as I'm, I'm aware, that was one of the easy ones. There was some, <laughs> there was some, there was some tough nuts in there. Oh my God. Um, I did actually read them because David did post them up. Uh, after the event, I think yep, you put it up yep. on the Australian MESBG um, Facebook group, 
And I was reading through some of them and look, you know, my Silmarillion knowledge is not the best at the, at the best of times. Um, and I was pre coffee at that point. (laughs) I switched it off at that point. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 my favorite part of, of all of the law master, you've got essentially the most impossible questions to answer is it ended up sort of being a tie and they decided it with rock, paper, scissors. Fantastic. I mean, as any law driven (laughs) section should be. Um, now I might be misremembering here, but in the final rock, paper, scissors duel, I believe it was Jacob, and I think it was Tim, but apologies if it was someone else. Jacob had the gall to say, I'm going to pick rock. (gasps) Oh, the ultimate power play. What do you do as the opponent when your opponent says, I'm going to pick rock? Uh, Do you you go with it? You go rock as well. Or do you go against it? No, you go rock as well. They went rock. Oh, and what did Jacob Jacob went rock. (gasps) So, now what? Jacob didn't say anything more, but it's insinuated that he's going to go rock again, right? What mm. do you do? So the opponent went rock again. Okay, we've hit an impasse. So is Jacob going to switch it up now? I believe the opponent went scissors and Jacob stayed rock. Bam. Three rocks in a row. Bam. What do you do? Wow. What do you do? Now, again, that definitely happened. Now, whether that was for Lawmaster or not, I, I apologize if I got that wrong. But that was like the best moment of the tournament. Just somebody just going, look, I'm rock. What are you going to (laughs) do? Come at me, bro. (laughs) A bold move. A bold move. Very good. Um, There was the master wordsmith, which was the best written thing. Okay. Um, There was the master. Okay. So hold on. The master wordsmith. So how, what was the, what was the separation between, so basically Master words, Wordsmith versus Theme, it was a difference in terms of the elocution or the, the way that it was written or what was being judged? Yeah, look, um, potentially I misspoke earlier when I said the theme was based on the, the writing. Maybe he had two separate things okay. going on. Okay. Potentially there was a chance for interplay. But yeah, sorry, it looks like best wordsmith was the best written. Okay. And so he just sort of compared those and was like, which one's just absolutely blown me out of the water? Look, I'm a little offended I didn't get it, but that's okay. Um, There was the best, the master cartographer. The best hand-drawn map. Hand-drawn? Now. (laughs) Because, I mean, my Photoshop skills are pretty good. No, 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 no good. No good here. Your your Photoshop is no good here. Um. And I did see the winner, and you could tell it was hand-drawn. <laughs> it was no good, but I believe there was only one submitted, so default. Love a good default win. There was the Master of Disguise, which is just the best costume. Yep. Which, uh, unfortunately, no one got too into this year. There was just one person who brought a helmet, so default, default. again. But uh, look, that's one to look out for. We'll, we'll endeavour to, to join in on that action. There was the Master Builder, which was the best prop. Which okay. There was, a, I believe, a Corsair player, maybe, who had a sword. So, yeah. how yeah. can you beat that? I mean... I mean, it's perfect. There was the People's Champion. So, before the tournament started, there was Player Profiles. Mm, which... This was great. As a, as a non-tournament attendee, I really loved reading those. Oh, yeah. This was... Yeah, I, I think I said off, off mic. But this was, like, such a good pre-intro to the tournament like this wasn't even the tournament this was like i think david released them maybe one or two days before Mm. the tourney on the australian you know middle earth 
SPG Facebook page. Each player had written down, you know, like with a photo of themselves, their army list, and then like a little blurb <laughs> about themselves and their little intro. Um, and it was really good to see because I think everyone who did it was on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> this this player profile's a muck about. <laughs> it was a consistency to the tone of the writing. Um, what was quite cool as well, and, and we were talking about this before, uh, before we started recording, was um, how, like, coming out of a series of lockdowns, I think there's been a lot of people that have uh, either picked up the hobby or have come back to the hobby after a long um, hiatus. And the 300 point tournament is actually the perfect entry point for new players coming yep. in. Yep. Um, and so it seemed like from a lot of those player cards that there were a lot of people that were like, hey, I'm new. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, uh, but I'm going to throw some dice and make a whole lot of mistakes yeah. and have some yep. fun doing it. Um, and, and not only the 300 point threshold being quite accessible, the tournament itself was is a bit of fun. Like yeah. you, you can try and win and, and absolutely do win. I, mean, I certainly did. But you're there to have fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, perfect intro. And those player profiles were just 10 out of 10 across the board. Like, every single one of them was, uh, yeah, yeah. Good, a good bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then there was the more of a grocer than a burglar, which is the wooden spoon. Ooh. Um, An award after my own heart. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and, and just for the ease of transition, there was also the maestro. Uh, award. Well, tell me, Geordie, who won the Maestro Award? Well, wouldn't you know it? I won that award. Fantastic. Couldn't have thought of a, a better person for it to go to, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. So, there were two... So, the Maestro Award, of course, goes to the best uh, songstress in Middle Earth, which... Um, this is just sort of like a little peek into David's mind on the way that he sort of operates with these awards. He's very over the top, and I think it's in the best way possible. I'm just going to read out uh, the Minimize 2020 Maestro Award, if, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Go for it. And let it be known that upon this day for valour in arms and courage in adversity will now be presented unto one most deserving in the sight of the witnesses present and by the will of the dice, the Maestro. In Middle Earth, the most powerful of spells have always required the greatest of music's to reach their full potency. With such skills as yours, the magic would have been great indeed. Rise now. Let your name adorn this citation that none may doubt your actions, for you have been judged most worthy to receive this honour. Stand proud. We salute you. Signed, David Leonard. <laughs> Fantastic. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo, Maestro. It's very, I, I love that uh, uh, David has personally signed that and there are uh, two lines below it for, <laughs> for, for witnessing <laughs> which have been left utterly blank. <laughs> Would it hold up in the court of law? We'll never know, but regardless. Does I it mean, hold up in our hearts? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and that, that kind of uh, attention to, to detail and just the passion. Yes, like, that's it. It's the passion that comes through. 
It's it's infectious. Yeah. And yep. um, it makes it such a delightful experience for people um, because it celebrates everyone in what they want to bring. Yeah, exactly. Um, as, as much as I wanted to win the tournament, I wanted to win the Maestro Award. <laughs> you know, this is like extension of my hobby. Every single army I paint um, from like 2019 onwards, I've written a song to go with it. Now, this was because in 2019 at Minimize, I had accidentally come up with a song, just like inspiration struck while I was at work. What was, this, what was the army? This was for Corsair's Vumba. Okay. I and think I, David might have, might have mentioned well, that. Well, he, he might have accidentally. <laughs> um, and I'd written that song just pure accident, and I went to Minimize, and just, I just thought, look, let's just put this in my like, theme section. Yep. Lo and behold, David announces that there's a song a competition. <laughs> what? Um, and he's like, oh, does anyone want to come up and sing? And, and Tim had a song about, um, essentially he'd rewritten Itsy Bitsy Spider, oh, but yeah. had, had gone Itsy Bitsy Spider Queen and, and sang it in a, in a funny voice. Um, and there was me with like a legitimate song. <laughs> um, and yeah, so ever since I very deliberately, uh, tried to come up with songs for, for my army. So... If you've seen an army painted by me in the past two years, it's it's got an it's got a song attached to it. And you should ask Geordie to sing it for you. Oh, I'd be happy to. I'd be most obliged. So uh, on that note, <coughs> you've got a lovely laminated uh, sheet here. One side, I'm assuming, is the the theme of the list. Yes, the written theme. Yep. And then the other side is the song. That's correct. The... Will you? Uh, uh, grace us with a few stanzas. Yes. So, look, if, you, if you've listened this far, hopefully you're interested in what we have to say. <laughs> and what we have to sing. And what we have to sing. Because at the, at the tournament, I'll, I'll point this out, like, you know, the award ceremony, ceremony was going and, and the maestro was announced and, and, and he was like, look, if you sing, there's two songs in, in competition and if you elect to sing, look, you're probably going to win. So I got up and I sang the first verse. I was a little nervous, you know, because how often do you sing in a room of 30 people? But it was like, you know, I, I had quite literally a captive audience. So it wasn't that I knew they wanted to hear me, you know, spout out a two, a two to three minute song. Mm. So I didn't want to keep going. So I did stop at the first verse. Mm. So, I mean, look, here's a little, a little extra for everyone who, who had attended and wants to know the rest. And uh, for all of you guys out there, without further ado, Geordie, take it away. All right. So the lamentation of the great beasts of Gorgoroth. You marched along to a war you don't belong. Onto walls you've never known. But each step was not your own. But the whips with which you'd grown So lay low Ye beast of burden You march to your own plight I'll bark never bite Toscan horns, but no spite, for you were never on their side. 
But for the lash upon your hide, so lay low, ye beast of burden. You marched all this way, now let the fields be your grave. And in death you can be saved, for your life was only pain. Unto rest your roads be paved, so march along, but now march alone. And lay long, lay low. Now lay low, ye beast of burden. So lay low, ye beast of burden. Fantastic. I really, I love it. I, as I was listening, I was kind of reflecting on the... the I um, see you tearing up. Uh, it's, it's powerful stuff. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of moisture yeah, around my eyes. Um, the, the, the theme that you had coming in... So, I'm interested. Did you write that after the discussion that we had pre-tournament? No. So... Or is this... When, when I paint the army, it tends to be when I try and encapsulate the idea and the, the, the theme. And that's when I'm writing the song, right? Because yeah. I'm spending, you know, 30 hours painting models. That's when I'm thinking about them, I guess. So this song was written mm, six months ago. Like oh, okay. it's, it's, it's fairly old at this point. Yeah. Um, but the, the idea that we talked about recently really tied in well. Yeah. You go, these guys are just there to deliver supplies. Next minute, they're thrown into the front lines and and put to the spear. Um, mm. And at, at no point did they truly have any any sort of say, I guess. Mm. Unwilling beasts of burden. Well, congratulations on, on taking away the um, award for um, Best Maestro. I think it's safe to say that it was very, very well deserved and thank you for giving us such a lovely rendition um, for the podcast listeners as well. That is my pleasure. I would have normally stuffed up every note, but look, I think we only, I think we did pretty good there. I think you did fantastically well. Um, Speaking of awards. Yes. We've got a new segment. Yes. uh, On the podcast and uh, because we were talking about it, it's all good and well to receive uh, an award from your peers mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. Um, you or know, from the, the TO. But what about those two blokes that do a recording of a podcast that four or five people listen to? That's surely. Right. That's right. Surely they are the authority. This is the real award that you want. Absolutely. When you go this to the tournament. The, this is the acclaim that you're seeking. I think, you know, people in years to come will say, is, is the Two Towers podcast going to be at this event? Because if not, if not, I don't believe that there's an award worth winning. 
No. First place, get it out of here. Not even worth my time. Best army, get it out of here. Best individually painted model, don't even <sighs> talk to me. So, without further ado, uh, the new segment and the illustrious award that participants can look forward to having the potential to win. That's right, that's right. Uh, is, what's it called? The Two Towers Hobby Hero of Legend. Oh, very good. Wow. See what we did there. There's a clever pun for those. Uh... Those in the know. <laughs> No, and, and this is this is really good because it lets us, um, it gives us an opportunity and a reason to look over each army and look at it in detail. And then for, for myself and yourself to, to come to an agreement on like, you know, which army conveyed the most or which army just was painted so exceptionally well that we just had to yeah. give them a spotlight. Yeah, this, this award will be kind of like a, a best on ground or best on show um it, it could be for an, any number of reasons yeah. right like you say it could be an exceptionally well painted army it could be for an army that is you know entirely converted or mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. theme is just so on point yeah um it whatever it is it will be obviously very hobby centric yes and look it's best on ground from the subjective opinion of two people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From two very particularly opinionated people that are coming from uh, <laughs> a very niche corner. And to make it even tighter this tournament, there's only one person who gets to decide. Oh. Um, that's what I guess You've got say. to be in it to win it, really. And look, if I don't turn up, then I don't really get a say. So, that's right. uh, without further ado, Geordie, who is the inaugural winner of the Two Towers Hobby Hero of Legend? Oh, what a ring. Um, you've heard the name on this podcast already, guys. It's, uh, it's Joshua Coleman's wow. Denizens of Mirkwood. Congratulations. Not only winner of the tournament, but perhaps more importantly, the, <laughs> the highest level, <laughs> the highest level of achievement, the Two Towers podcast, Hobby Hero of Legend. No, he's, um, there's, uh, there was a contention between his list and this Azog's Legion, which actually had Azog and just impeccable non-metallic metal. It was unreal. And they were apparently 3D sculpts, not the actual Azog. And it just, you couldn't tell. Interesting. But... Josh's list, I think, took it out because his spiders were so vibrant, but so real, and they... God, I'm glad I didn't play against yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> they, oh, the, I think the colours he went was just so good to, to just shine through as far as, like, yeah, uh, the vibrant red that just shone through. Oh, so talk us, talk us through yeah. what, what, how, how he had painted them. Uh, he had a display board as well, which is minor bonus points. Um, <laughs> he, he had... And I think I talked with, in, in David's interview, you heard a slight snippet, but he had painted them. They were quite dark from the top down and they were this dark but offish brown, like maybe like a Rhinox hide, sort of blended into a Rhinox hide. It like started quite dark. Mm. And particularly on the spider, on, the, on the, the broodlings, you could see it. Like all their legs were this just absolute vibrant red that just shone through. And then on the, the larger spiders and the spider queen herself, I think just like 
patterns or like sections with that color were picked to be that color mm-hmm. and I think the um like with the Merkwoods who were quite the big who were the biggest spiders I think like their legs were like you know that sort of like tiger skin that you can see yeah. on, on you know real world spiders yeah had that vibrant color sh- you know shining through in in its striped effects yeah cool. and it just you looked at and go that's a well-painted model but then you look at the colors and go god damn that looks fucking sick yeah um, and I think that's what, what made me go with them instead of the Azogs because the Azogs were phenomenally painted and they looked really good. But you looked at Josh and his color choice and just go, that is sick. I suppose a certain, to a certain degree, um, having not seen the, the models in real life, but you know, the spider models give you a bigger canvas. Yep. And yep. if you're in control of that canvas and you're, you, you're controlling the contrast and the, the patterns and, and um, the composition of that, then that can have a much bigger impact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, agreed. Yeah. From a further distance. Yep. Um, and which, he's, he's a little more liberal with what you can do with a, with a spider compared to, you know, a, a model from the movie like Azog with his white wag. Like it's very, yeah. not, I, would, I don't want to say paint by numbers, but you can only skew so far whilst... Yep maintaining what he is yeah whereas the spiders are kind of a true blank canvas i mean they were in the movies but then spiders can be exactly exactly um awesome well uh josh you can expect um to receive a a lovely printed uh award Mm -hmm. um very soon via mail and Um, uh i've been told uh albert is this true there's a um a all expenses paid trip to Disneyland, California as well. Absolutely. I, I mean, obviously the expenses uh, won't be paid by us, <laughs> um, but those expenses but like, will be yep. paid uh, yep. should you, you know, take that trip to Disneyland. Well, with that monumental news out of the way, uh, is there anything else, Albert? I, th- I think that about covers it for this, this tournament. Now, it's at this point in the podcast that I should say, Please go and uh, check our Instagram page, Two Towers Podcast on Instagram. We also have an email that you can reach out to us um, and let us know if there's anything that we've got wrong um, throughout, <laughs> throughout the course of uh, of of this podcast. That's uh, the Two Towers Podcast. We're very Gmail. professional and very official here at Two Towers. Yes, we will. But get- we're going to get everything wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Well. As soon as I talk, I think there's an inherent 10% factor of error. (laughs) Um, Join us next time. And listen to more of our ramblings. Have fun hobbying. Have fun gaming.